There's something curious about this broadcast. Houston, we have a problem. This is TGP Nominal, and commence episode now. Ho, 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 ho. Merry Christmas. All systems remain nominal. Nominal. Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. Today is our holiday or Christmas special and we decided to do a convention special. So uh, we've got a lot of content uh, left over from the different conventions that we've been to over the, the over the year and I just wanted to share this content with you and obviously the show wouldn't be the same without a certain person and that person is over the other side of the pond and that will be john Berger. how you doing sir hi ho this is kermit the frog which people outside the u.s probably are not going to get but <laughs> you'll be very very surprised a lot of the the original muppet show stuff was actually filmed in the uk what yeah no. Uh-huh. Come on. Okay, citation needed on that one. <laughs> you, you need to send me proof on that. You're going to have a hard time convincing me of that one, my friend. And it was huge in, over here as much as it was in the States. In fact, if you go onto the TGP Nominal Facebook page today, I put up a post about there's a new episode of Pigs in Space just yes. come out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I used to love Pigs in Space. <laughs> oh, you learn something new every day. I didn't think it was that popular over there. Yeah, I mean, huge, I, know, I know that Sesame huge. Street's been around the world in different ways, that it's been licensed and so forth, but I thought that the U.S. was primarily its big market. No, Sesame Street, Muppets, Fraggle Rock, oh, huge over huh. here. Huge. Well, there you go. See, I guess it's only fair because I love Danger Mouse, and, you know, you guys exported out Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. So I guess we've had our share of things. Actually, I've got the entire DVD box set of Fraggle Rock. Oh, wow. <laughs> Dude, that's hardcore. I used to watch that every Sunday when it was on HBO, and I don't even have that. <laughs> so what's new with you, John? I'm just waiting for Rogue One and Assassin's Creed, man. That's it. Now, you say that it's a monthly show. We are going to do another one before the end of the year just so we can talk about that, right? Because we, we're probably going to be able to spend a whole damn show on Rogue One. We must. Yeah, and I, I want to try and get uh, Alan Taylor Shearer in on the show because on that one, he's got some content left over from uh, when we went to Star Wars Celebrations Europe. And, you know, I want to bring him in on it because he was with me because I geeked out for most of it. He did most of the recordings. <laughs> He came in as not so much uh, a Star Wars fan as an independent and came in to do the recordings and this, that, and the other. Ah. And he saw Star Wars from a completely different place when he came out of Star Wars celebrations, I can tell you. I, I went there with the intention of recording, and uh, I didn't get a lot of recording yeah. done. You and I would be just completely geeking out. We would be useless as in interview functions. <laughs> Because we'd be just going around like, ah, oh, that is so cool. <laughs> and that's pretty much what happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, look at that. That's awesome. <laughs> I can see me doing that. Uh, and I kept going around to different places going, oh, I need to get me one of them. No, she'll kill me if I get one of yes. those. <laughs> I'm fortunate with all the video game conventions. I got my wife trained that if I don't come back with at least something 
respectably expensive for myself she's like wow what's wrong with you <laughs> i'm used to the little independent comic cons so going to something on that kind of scale it was it was like going on a pilgrimage <laughs> your personal sci-fi mecca <laughs> yeah <laughs> So, uh, yeah, Alan was kind of carrying me most of the time when it came to podcasting stuff. He's trying to get a piece to, to, to Mike with me, and he's like, uh, so, Mark, what, what do you think of this? And I'm going, yeah, 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 I, I don't quite know what I'm saying right now, but uh, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Mark, did you say something? What, what, Where's he gone? You know, follow the mark shaped blur. It was very <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he's easy to find. Just go near all the slave Leia cosplayers. Uh, yeah, that's 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 <laughs> happened. <laughs> <laughs> Photographic hey, proof no. of that. Um, growing old is mandatory. Growing up is not. <laughs> I mean, we did get to meet some people, uh, other podcasters, while we were there, and they were in exactly the same predicament as I was in. And it was good to meet some people that I already met at other conventions. And uh, I actually met a guy that I know from the National Space Centre, the UK National Space Centre. Cool. He, he's like, I thought you'd be here. <laughs> he just said, uh, I thought, yeah, you know I me too well. I felt the Actually, I have been working on, and this is like an 11-year project for me, but I've got the original uh, Faces laser discs, mm -hmm. which it's that's like the final master before they went to the special edition crapola, and I've actually been converting that stuff over to DVD. I've been working on this thing for like 11 years, and I finally decided, that's it! I'm getting it done, I'm finishing it. So I made myself a nice little 16-page booklet to go with it, which is really just pictures of the, the Laserdisc covers, that sort of thing. But, oh, actually, I think, did you put those up on Facebook? Yeah. I yeah. think I saw those. Yeah, they look really cool. So, you know, got those cleaned up and, and so forth. But now, granted, it doesn't look anywhere near as good as the Despecialized Edition or the Team Negative One. But this is one of those things where it's like 11 years. I'm just getting this done. I'm finishing this, and I'm almost there, so I will have DVD conversions of the original non-special edition laser discs, mm -hmm. so I can enjoy actually, you know, seeing Anakin Skywalker as not being uh, Hayden Christensen. Yeah. You know. <laughs> that was wrong. Stuff like that. That was so wrong. I mean, there are elements of the special editions I did like. Oh, sure. There were some, um, especially some of the scenes, like the Death Star battle scenes, they needed to be cleaned up. Mm -hmm. But a lot of that stuff was just, uh, no. I mean, adding extra people to Mos Eisley was needed. that. Well, yeah, it, it didn't it, feel it, like a bustling city. No. But, you know, you needed to add a few people into it and that. And that, that worked for me. That, that Those outside scenes worked for me. Obviously, the Jabba scene didn't. But there was just some things that needed to be done. And you're right, the cleaning up things. There was, there was a few bits in, in um, Empire that needed to be cleaned up as well. I think I might, might have mentioned it to you before. There 
there's a bit when um, one of the snow speeder scenes when you're looking out of the uh, the cockpit of the of it and you can see the um, the attack walking in front and you can mm. actually see it through the the bars on the uh, on the on the cockpit where the panes of glass are you can actually see it walk through and it's like, oh, I'm going to have to look for that. I'm like, whoa, yeah, that needs cleaning up so you can't see that anymore. <laughs> yeah, but stuff like his stupid scream as he fell as he fell off the platform, mm-hmm. you know, after after Vader said, you know, I, I am your father. And then Luke screams on the way down. It's like, really? And did you have to make it the Emperor's scream? Because, like, nobody would pick that up, would they? That's you know? <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> what? And wh- why dumb. did they have to change the Sarlacc? The Sarlacc looked good as it was. Adding that um, Feed Me Seymour, I mean, it was... Exactly, uh, <laughs> exactly what I was thinking. Little Shop of Horrors. That's a Little Shop of Sarlaccs. I thought the exact same thing. I was like, that's dumb. Yeah, it just didn't work for me that bit. That's all. It's his baby. He wanted to do what he... If, if that's what how he envisaged it to be... I can't see it was. I don't think he was entirely no. happy with that after after they're done. But then the technology wasn't there either for to get it how he probably wanted it. Yeah, but he used that as an excuse for for uh, Han not shooting first. Mm. I was like, uh, what? How do you not have the technology to? Do what? I don't know. That's a, whatever. That, just a little animation thing that could be easily dealt with. I'm sorry, there was no reason to deal with that anyway because it just completely changed his character. Yeah, yeah, it did. It's like, no, you don't do that. He is a rogue. He is a renegade. That's where his cur- That's where his his story arc starts. Yeah, this this conversation ends now. Yeah. <laughs> So but no, it's been fun switching those over, doing the laser discs and you know, mild upscaling because these are the pretty much the same laser discs that uh, Lucasfilm used basically to placate those of us who are saying we want the original trilogy. So they grabbed one of the laser discs and threw it on to uh, the, the Blu-rays. All right. I have a DVD with uh, the special edition yeah. on one disc and the, exactly. the original on the other. Yeah, it was either this, it was either from the Faces Laserdisc Master or the Definitive Edition, which, from what I understand, is the same, but they did nothing to it. They're just like, okay, look, let's just plug this in, let's capture the video and audio, and let's put it on there to shut people up. Mm-hmm. And it's not even, they didn't even enhance it for 16 by 9 screens. No, they It's didn't. like, really? You're window boxing it? So, you know, I, I'm at least going through and I'm converting it to a 16 by 9 screen, cleaning up some of the color and saturation. I, know, oh, I noticed uh, that you, you said that you've been learning how to do some of these cleaning techniques. Well, that's one of the reasons why it took me so long to do this, because it wasn't until recently that I realized that my video editing tool has stuff to monitor luminance so you don't blast the brightness up too high mm-hmm. uh, and color correction where they would actually have some kind of a color mon I forget what exactly what it's called some kind of a color monitoring scope because for some reason the laser disc I don't know if it was the laser discs or if it was the capture setup that I use I don't know it seemed to be really biased towards red you know people's faces looked like they were oompa loompas it was really bad it's like what the hell's going on and I actually found some of these tools in it but only in the past like month or two that I was able to more accurately correct the color issues with it. 
And that, that's that's another reason why it's it's taken me so damn long to do this. Plus, it would be I'd get so far and be like, okay, I'll get back to it, but I need to go off and do something else first, and then I wouldn't come back to it. And this time, it's just like, okay, now wait a minute. There's a tool there for me to fix the luminance. There's a tool there for me to f- fix the color. And I've still got the masters from when I captured it over. I'm just getting this done. And that's what I've been doing. I'm, I'm almost there. Actually, they're all done when it comes to actually mastering mm-hmm. the, uh, the the videos themselves. It's really now I just have to make the DVDs for them. Did they actually come with any extras? One interview for each movie. Right. Because really, that's what separates the Faces laser discs with the uh, Definitive Edition laser discs. Mm-hmm. From what I've been reading, they're the exact same masters. But the definitive edition has a whole bunch of other extras to it. Because I think I've seen one of. It must have been from there because it was a documentary um, hosted by Mark Hamill on Empire, where it's kind of behind the scenes thing. But it's actually hosted by him, uh, which I thought was really good. But the, uh, the, it's on YouTube. And the actual quality is really quite bad. But um, uh, but it was taken off to the laser disc, one of the laser discs, because it actually uh, they didn't take any of the titles or, or anything when the disc was loading. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And they just let it go and recorded. <laughs> yeah, that was probably from the definitive edition then. Now, it's been a bit of a, a a strange week. Well, last week was a bit of a strange week. I was telling you about my my friend Alan Gray, who went to the Antarctic on the expedition with Buzz Aldrin. Uh, now, Buzz was uh, evacuated from the camp uh, due to having fluid on the lung. Ew. And I haven't heard anything since, so I don't know how no. that's playing out. Um, so I was getting a bit worried at that point when I heard about that. Obviously, the the expedition still carried on. I haven't heard back from, from Alan since. But yeah, I was a bit worried about Buzz at that point because, well... <laughs> We know how 2016 has been playing out. And just after that, uh, we had the the sad news of the, the loss of John Glenn, mm-hmm. uh, who is a legend in his own right, not purely because of what he achieved in his early career as an astronaut. I mean, to, to actually go back into space as... Yeah. Uh, a senior citizen. I mean, he was, what, in his 70s when he did that? Something like that. Well, and he was a U.S. senator. Yeah. He, he did a lot of things. He was one of these guys that really pushed boundaries. And, uh... But, I mean, really, the guy was 95 years old. He packed a lot of life into those 95 years. Oh, yeah, yeah. He had a good innings. So... Yeah, it's a, it's a sad loss, but he's he's had a good life. Yep. But it is a, a, a loss to the, the space family. And... Whilst we're on a similar subject, we also lost Greg Lake from Emerson Lake and Palmer. And I thought as a tribute to him, I'll play out this section with one of his tunes that he composed called I Believe in Father Christmas. And as this is a Christmas show, I thought that would be a nice tribute to him. So after that track's played in, we will go into the next section of the show, going into the world of Comic-Cons. They said there'll be snow at Christmas They said there'll be peace on earth But instead it just kept on raining A veil of tears for the virgin birth I remember one Christmas morning A winter's light and a distant choir The peal of a bell and 
After a 2016 which frankly was as explosive as the early days of the US Explorer program and as difficult to predict as the tumbling roll of Gemini 8 and the Agena target vehicle combined, then please may the end to this year for all of us be nominal. Peace on Earth and in outer space from Gareth Jones on Speed. So welcome back to TGP Nominal, and uh, as I mentioned before, we are going to be talking about Comic-Cons and uh, the folklore around them. Uh, Now the first one um, that went to this year, and it's becoming a bit of a tradition with TGP Nominal, is Wickham Comic-Con. Now, 
Wickham is, well, it's High Wickham, uh, and it's a town in the county that I was born in, in Buckinghamshire, and it's becoming a good Comic-Con. So I thought what I'd do first is I'll play a piece by a, a guy called Leon Yearwood, and you'll understand who he is uh, when I play the piece. I'm with uh, Leon Newwood, who's one of the organisers of the, the event. Um, how's it going for you so far? It's going very well. We've been very busy. Our signers are doing really well. Traders are doing well. Our staff have loved it, loved going around. And it's been fun. The feedback we've had so far has been all positive, which has been really good to see. Excellent. Now, you've made a, a few changes this year from, from last year. You, you've expanded a little bit. We took a decision after last year people said to us oh we wish it was on two days we wish there was more traders more signers so we took that on board took a bit of organizing but yes we've gone bigger better and hopefully next year we can do the same yeah i mean this year you've got a few um panels haven't you q a panels this year yeah that's one thing some people asked for us last year can you do q a sessions so we did a q a session yesterday with julian lee seager ian white sarah louise madison brian wheeler hosted and uh pam rose and pam rose <laughs> and it was there's about 30 to 40 people in there would have liked to do more but it made it a nice intimate setting and the feedback we had from that was really good everyone really enjoyed it there's lots of good questions asked absolutely brilliant and I understand today's one's going to be more Star Wars themed. Yep, today's one is literally completely Star Wars. So we have Phoenix James, who was First Order Stormtrooper, Jeremy Bullock, the original and best Boba Fett that we've ever had. We have Alan Flynn, who is an Imperial officer and also a trooper. And Anthony Forrest, who's most famous for being the Stormtrooper that got mind tricked by Obi-Wan Kenobi in the um, Star Wars A New Hope. Excellent. So far, what, what has um, struck out for you uh, when, as you've been walking around doing your thing? What's really stuck out for me is smiles on people's faces. Um, I was talking to Veronica Taylor after the event last night in a hotel, in a hotel. And for her, it's been quite emotional because she's had a few people actually in tears because of the character she played, Ash Ketchum, in Pokemon. She did the voice. And people have actually cried because of the profound effect that it's had. They've grown up with it. It's had an impact on their lives. And people have really enjoyed meeting some of their stars. Like John Chalice's Boise, Sue Holdness, Marlene, yeah. David Krause, Jeremy Bullock. And meeting up with old friends from the convention as well, which has been really good for um, customers and the signers because they do a lot of convention and they are all friends with each other, which is really good. That is uh, something I've I picked up from doing the uh, convention last year uh, was how everyone gets on with everybody else, and even as a newcomer, well, as I was then to the convention scene. Um, I was kind of even embraced as almost like one of the family. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you've got people that have been in a lot of films, they've done a lot of work, they've worked with some of the biggest names in TV and film. 
but they have no airs and graces. That's it. And, and this is the thing, they're so down to earth, they're also welcoming. I went into the Premier Inn on Friday night and I saw Pam Rose at the bar and she was like, put your money away, I'm buying you a drink. <laughs> you know, I was sat having a drink with Julian Lee Seeger, Paul Warren, just having a chat and it actually got a bit risque as well. Yeah. Um, but they just don't have any ears and glasses. They put their hands in their pockets the same as everyone else. And it's really good to see it. And they're all, that's the thing, they're also approachable, which makes the conventions really good. And that's what it was great uh, from, from last year to this year for myself, was that um, I met Paul Warren last year, uh, and it, I think Wickham was his first Comic-Con. It was his first Comic-Con. He had been in a few things. He was Harry Potter's body double mm -hmm. for all through the films. Um, and he couldn't say, but he did hint at slightly that he was in episode seven of Star Wars. It was a <laughs> um, bit of a giveaway because he was wearing a, uh, a shirt that actually mentioned that he might be in the creature unit. But uh, yes, yes. So it was a little <laughs> bit of a hint. Um, he's done fantastic, and kids because he's in Guardians of the Galaxy as well. Kids really recognised him last year yeah. as well. Um, it, He's another one. You can stand and chat to him for actually hours. He has so many great stories that oh, they yeah. all do. Um, and he'll you know, tell you, I mean, he was talking to me about one of his, and it's taken him five hours to get his makeup, makeup on and what have yeah. you. He says he doesn't listen to music or anything because he talks to the people doing the makeup because they all have such great stories and he appreciates the effort that they put in. That's it. I mean, I'm looking forward to uh, interviewing uh, Julian later because some of the movies he's been in, and, and judging by the uh, the Q and A panel yesterday, uh, some of the escapades he's actually been in since he's been he, doing. He those. has numerous stories, um, which is really good. I mean, he's been in Garden and Galaxy. He's been in Thor: The Dark World, and. One of the first one of the first ones he worked with with Chris Hemworth, he didn't know who he was, and he thought he was just in the battle scene with him, and he's picked him up and launched him. <laughs> As you um, yeah. In full dark world, his finishing scene for him in the battle was facing Thor. It's absolutely amazing what That's these it. guys have done and the stories they've got to tell. Um, and I think until you meet them, you don't realise what they've done some of the times. It's and, and it's the thing is with, for me is that I always thought that Hollywood was not approachable. Yeah. And these guys tell a different story to that because it's up close and personal. Uh, an event like this, which you wouldn't get at the like your big MCNs in London and, or and whatever. This, this is the thing with your small conventions. We're a little bit bigger than smaller this year, but what you, you get the more personal experience of this. MCM is just busy, busy, busy. They don't get the time to stop and chat properly. Yeah, here they do, and they appreciate that more. We try and look after them. Um, Contact me and Gary, the other organ. We talk to them through the year as well. You know, we like to see how they do. We like to be friendly with them. Yeah. Um, 
we have, we have people that say, can we be at your convention? Can we be at your convention? Because the feedback we had from the signers last year yeah. was absolutely amazing. When I did the different interviews last year, um, and everybody said the same, the, the, the amazing job that you two have, have done, and the team, of course, have done uh, on last year's event, being your first convention, you never would have known that it was your first time. Yeah, and that's really good to hear. Um, for me, the feedback I had about our staff from this year and so far this year has been so positive. And one thing that people have said to us that sets us apart from most conventions is we have more staff on the ground than you actually, we actually need. Because we want people to be directed, we want people to come and ask us questions. We want, we, we want to help people and our staff have been brilliant I was going to say a big thank you to them definitely definitely well it's been a pleasure talking to you Leon yep pleasure and uh, hopefully we can work with, with you again over yep, the look years look forward to it look forward to it brilliant one thing I must apologise for was <laughs> if you could hear noises of Tyrannosaurus Rexes in the background <laughs> Uh, we were outside the actual venue and we were in the area you know where they normally have like seating and things for people that smoke and these things have kind of like umbrellas uh, like patio umbrellas and that kind of thing now outside you had a lot of vehicles from different movies there was uh, the Batmobile there was Bumblebee from Transformers there was Kit from Knight Rider and there was also a Jeep from Jurassic Park which just happened to have a speaker underneath it which was producing sounds from rainforests so there was all (laughs) you could probably hear the little birds and things from the rainforest and you could also hear the rain because it was actually persisting it down with rain when when it was there and obviously the sound effects of dinosaurs tramping across the terrain so it was very bizarre doing an interview with uh, this, these rainforest sounds and, and dinosaur roars in the background <laughs> It was a completely different event for Roycombe this year. They were on the same campus. It was held at uh, the University of Buckinghamshire's campus. Uh, Last year, they were all in one area. They're actually in the Students' Union bar, basically. This year, they had two areas. They had an auditorium so that they could do the questions and answer panels. Upstairs from the auditorium, there was a gym or a sports hall where they had all the merchandise vendors and then on the other side of the campus you had an area for cosplay competition and uh, another area for all the signers and uh, it caused a a bit of a problem with signage and and that's the reason why they needed all these people on on the ground so that they could direct people in the right direction on the second day um, they kind of compressed it all down so there were more things in one area which made it feel more friendly and f- up close with the signers and things it, it really was yeah it's, it's really good that they like to have us there uh, as a podcast and um We had a little bit of competition this year because the local radio station was doing their thing live from the event as well. So uh, they kept looking at us and saying, who are these guys with microphones talking to people? You know, I don't know who they are, kind of thing. I said, yeah. Yeah, too bad we win. Yeah, we've been doing this for two years now. (laughs) So, yeah, that was uh, Leon. Leon is a really good guy. Uh, Unfortunately, he's taking a bit of a backseat on the convention scene 
uh, for a while because he said, you know, for the last couple of years he hasn't had a life of his own because it's been convention yeah. all the way through. Um, so he wants to take a little bit of a break from it and then he's going to see what he wants to do. But uh, he said, you know, if, if we want any help with things for the podcast or whatever, he said, just get in touch and I can um, point you in the right direction kind of thing. So, yeah, he's a really lovely guy. Oh, that's cool. Can he point a way to somehow financing me to go over there? <laughs> you know, when these conventions come around? <laughs> yeah, you would love these ones because um, I'm not sure if I would like the ones in, in the big cities because uh, I think you, you, you spend most of your time standing in line. Yeah. Well, it's not just that, but I mean, the closest one to me that I know of is Philadelphia, which is 100 miles east of me. Mm-hmm. You got a lot of little ones all throughout England, which is, you know, a little bit larger than Pennsylvania. Yeah. We, we just have geographic issues over here. There are Comic Cons pretty much three days of the week every week in the UK. What? It's huge. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. I, I can show you a website which lists all the major ones throughout the year. You're out of your Vulcan mind, Spock. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hopefully I'm going to be going to the Philadelphia Comic-Con this this coming year. Cool. So we'll, we'll see what's what on that one. I didn't even know there was one, really, until suddenly a, a friend of mine was like, yeah, because she goes to all these Comic-Cons out in California, and she's talked about how she might come out here, and she's a big chocolate buff, and I live right near Hershey. <laughs> so, um, you know, that, that whole thing started, and uh, she said, yeah, if I come out there, you know, stop off at your place like whatever fine you can stay here for the night and then we can all go down because my kids have never been to a comic con obviously because for all we knew of New York San Diego a couple of others but now that I found out there's one in Philly well I can do that there's um, in in London there's there's four a year in London Uh, they do a spring one (laughs) summer one an autumn one and a winter one jeez <laughs> and they are huge uh, then they do them in Manchester Birmingham all the major cities uh, I like to do the, the little ones um, I mean I, I went to my first one back in 95 it was Empire Day 5 <laughs> have a guess what that was um, yeah. <laughs> oh wow the one in Philadelphia is four days long yeah, that's about right. The ones in America tend to be four days, and the ones over here tend to be three. Hmm. Uh, it's the same with Celebration, actually. They uh, had an extra day. And the reason for that is because it's easier for people to get their stuff from Lucasfilm or wherever right. to the venues, whereas it's a bit more difficult to keep bringing stuff over uh, when it's held in Europe. Oh, my kids are going to hate me because it takes place when they're not out of school yet. Ooh. <laughs> I mean, unless I want to restrict it to just the two weekend days. Mm-hmm. But they're big everywhere. I mean, there's a huge one in Bucharest. Really? Huge, yeah, there's a huge Comic-Con in Bucharest. Last year, it was mostly... Well, I say Comic-Con, it was comic and film, you know. They, they well, sure. Well, they, they've all kind of, you know, morphed into movies and so forth as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend who runs a comic store... He's not a big fan of that. Uh, he, he said, why call it a Comic-Con when it's not a Comic-Con? There should be more comics-related stuff on there, you know. I said, yeah, you run a comic shop. That's the only reason why you're saying that. <laughs> it's good for business. <laughs> 
Now, the next piece I'm going to play in, you'll have a lot of interest in this one. You'll see what I mean in a minute. So. Mm-hmm. I'm talking with Matt Harrison from the Hill Valley Preservation Society. How are you doing? Pretty good. It's been a good day so far. Just kicking off, but it's been very busy. Nice reactions from people who have uh, come to see our display. So, explain a little bit about what you actually do. Okay, well, myself and Steve Parks, who is opposite... <laughs> at the moment we uh, we run a Back to the Future prop and costume display uh, we tour it around the country and we raise money for Team Fox so Michael J Fox Parkinson's Research Foundation um, yeah we tour it all over the country we've been uh, through Europe as well Steve's taken it out to France for some big events up there and yeah it's just nice to bring the props out and see people's reactions to all the little bits and pieces and intricate details from the films that they you know remember so vividly from their childhood nice to bring it to life for people. So how did you um, get hold of these props? Uh, lots of searching on eBay, <laughs> lots of prop houses and auctions and uh, and even some are made by friends or uh, Steve has made some himself and uh, yeah it's just amassing the collection over time. It's taken us a sort of couple of years but we're slowly getting bigger. We started off on one table, now we're on two. Really we need three today and I think we're going to be on to four. And we also have a full-size uh, Welcome to Hill Valley sign, which unfortunately is in repair at the moment. But we even have uh, we even have one of those, so we think we're going to need our own conventions. <laughs> got, got damaged in the storm. Yeah, it did. It got damaged. <laughs> yeah. 1985. We haven't had it fixed since. <laughs> So talk us through some of the um, more prominent um, pieces of the collection okay. you've got. Well, one of the most interesting pieces and like instantly recognisable pieces is the 2015 jacket, so Marty's resizing and self-drying jacket. Uh, this was made by a member on the Replica Prop Forum, so the RPF. Uh, one of the most expensive pieces in the collection uh, belongs to Steve. And we've also got a framed phone book page. Oh, wow. Which is from the, the cafe. Yep. in uh, 1955. Yep, Lou's Diner. That's uh, yeah. one of the actual phone pages used for the film. So we've got a mixture of props that are official reproductions, vintage items from the 50s like Pepsi Cola bottles that are still full. Uh, we've got vintage 80s items. Uh, we've got replicas that are fan-made and we've also got screen-used items as well. We've got uh, things like storyboards and all sorts. I know you've got the Grey's uh, Sports uh, Almanac. Yeah. We've got the Grey Sports Almanac, we've got the uh, replicas of the uh, knights, the self-lacing knights, which people always love to see, that are sat on top of the hot pink hoverboard, of they're, course. They're pretty cool, aren't they? <laughs> we've got obscure items like the orange hoverboard as well. Yeah. Most people don't know that the, uh, the, the, the two girls that Marty runs into, he takes the hot pink hoverboard from one, and the other girl has a orange Mattel hoverboard so we've got ones that only true geeks would know about or recognise in the film <laughs> so it's nice when people do recognise the little little intricate ones from in the background I've noticed you've got there a um, the, the helmet that uh, Griff uh, wore in the, in, the, in the movie and it's signed as well yes yeah signed by Tom Wilson uh, I think that was licensed by BTTF.com so they only did a few of them uh, 
some of them were signed, some of them were unsigned, but looks a little bit like a waffle iron, but... Uh, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> it's, it's cool nonetheless. It's interesting to see all the, all the bits and pieces they use and, and items that were kind of cobbled together to make the time circuits and different bits and pieces that they, you know, creatively used to put the time machine together and, you know, household items like the Mr. Fusion, which was, a, you know, made from a coffee grinder. And yeah, yeah. It's really nice, and, it, and that kind of makes it more fun to hunt out those objects and then make them yourself and put them together. It's, it's interesting, you've even got the, uh, the, the, the facts uh, note that uh, came through to tell Marty McFly that he was fired. Yeah. Uh, even uh, people predicting, predicting that we still be using fax machines in 2015. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's really good stuff. I mean, you've got your, your Pepsi Perfect bottles there now. Yeah. Um, the one that's in the cylinder mm -hmm. is that the one that they issued for the the anniversary? Or? Yes. So the one in the cylinder, we've got three here. Well, we've got one in the cylinder, which was the official one by Pepsi Perfect. Again, unfortunately, that that belongs to Steve, so I'm a little bit upset about that one. <laughs> but we've also got um, Mexican Pepsi Perfect, which was um, given out in cinemas in Mexico and and throughout the states for a little while, I think. But also over here at a special. Back to the Future event on Future Day last year, Leicester Square, and uh, we've also got a uh, fan-made one as well that's made out of wood. So we've kind of got varying shapes and sizes of Pepsi Perfect bottles, and we got some of the Pepsi-free cans from the 80s and uh, Bud Light cans, and it's hard being a Back to the Future fan. <laughs> There's some really <laughs> impressive stuff here. Actually. I mean, even down to the, the the receipt that came with the almanac when he bought yep. it from the second-hand shop is yeah. just. We've got all, all all manner of things, and it's not all on display today, unfortunately. But if, if people want to find us um, and find out what we're up to, we're on Facebook. So it's just facebook.com forward slash thhvps. So the Hill Valley Preservation Society. Uh, we list all our events on there. And sometimes we do special events like we did an enchantment under the sea dance oh, last wow. year in London, raised over £5,000 for the Parkinson's Foundation. And we do film screenings and all manner of things. We've got lots of ideas in the pipeline for, for this year. So, uh, yeah, keep an eye on the page and you can find out what Comic-Con we're at next and come out and see it for yourself and relive a little bit of uh, the future and the past. Yes, very much so. Very much the past now because all the events exactly. are in the past now. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Yes, thanks for having us. And um, yeah, we'll put a link uh, to your website on our um, Great. show notes page. Thank you very much. No problem. I could have spent hours looking at their stuff. I guess I'm allowed to gloat and say that I got one of those Pepsi Perfect bottles. I, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing that I also got that remember how USA Today had their own special cover for the movie? Yeah. They actually republished that too. Oh, cool! It was funny because you could order it directly from them for like four ninety five, and idiots were going on eBay and buying it for like three four hundred dollars. Wow! Like really, really? USA Today said flat out that you can buy it straight from them. It's like what? What do you? What? Uh, whatever. But hey. <laughs> So I, I've got uh, I got that thing in too, and it's just it's the very front of it, just like it was in the movie. Now, when I was talking to Matt there, I asked him whether they had a business card because I always ask these guys at these events whether they got a business cards so I can keep track of who I've spoken to and and whatnot. And he said, no, but you can take a flyer, and it's a reproduction of the flyer that was given to Marty McFly to say save the clock tower. Nice, with all their details at the bottom of it, which I thought was really cool. That's cool. That's <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
they've really put some thoughts into what they do I've got some photographs that I took of the, some of their props and uh, as I say I'll put a link to their website or possibly their Facebook page in the show notes also when I found out they were there I thought John would love this as soon as he said the Pepsi perfect you knew I was smiling at that one <laughs> you knew it <laughs> Actually, when I saw it, the reason why I asked him, was it one of the ones that was from the reissue or what was it? Well, interestingly enough, the one from the reissue is not authentic to what was in the movie, right. which is really annoying. And then the, the one guy even admitted, yeah, well, we wanted to modernize it and da 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 Yeah, there are, there are actually a number of significant changes that if you look at the two of them side by side, because they're actual prop replicas from the movie that you can get out on eBay and so forth, they're actually substantially different. The logo isn't the same. The uh, curvature of the bottle isn't the same. Uh, the the original one had a flip top to it where you could just flip the top and drink out of it. Mm-hmm. Not the reissue. The reissue, you have to take the lid off. Considering how much of, of an issue that they had caused because of it, really is kind of annoying. You know, if you're going to do that and you're going to do a reissue, fans don't want a change in it. They want the authentic one from the movie. And they didn't even deliver that. That, that, that. And I think that's one of the reasons why they had their their huge screw up in marketing. Mm-hmm. Then they had a second round where they screwed up in marketing, and then they just kind of just dropped it like a hot potato. You know, he was saying that they had the two different versions there. They had the the one from Mexico, which was uh, a, a replica that was given out at different cinemas. Uh-huh. I, I should have compared the two. From what I've seen, I think the ones from Mexico are more to the movie, whereas the ones that we got here in the states, you know, they're they're a little bit svelter, you know, and, and it's just they're, they're not the same. <laughs> Right. I quite enjoyed this one, actually. But I'll play it in, and you'll see who it is. I'm here with Anthony Forrest. Uh, now, well, what would you be more famous for in, in uh, the Comic-Con world? Um, I guess Star Wars. Star Wars has to be... Uh, well, it's pretty popular. <laughs> just, a, just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a couple of characters. Uh, the main character that I play that everyone knows is the Sand Trooper in the Jedi mind trick scene in A New Hope. And the other character is uh, ended up on the cutting room floor, which is the Fixer. But those you can be found on the Blu-ray editions and uh, I believe on DVDs and stuff like that. So how did you get involved? Was it just through through an agent or? Well, I had an agent. I was an, I was an actor in London at the time. I'd done a TV series for the BBC, uh, Anne of Avonlea, which was their sequel series to uh, Adam Green Gables. And I had done a lot of commercials, uh, working with directors like Ridley Scott, Adrian Lin, and that. And then I was um, still in London. Uh, I first came to London in 1974 to work on the BBC series. And, and it was after that uh, that I was staying in London. And that was when I had a chance through my agent to be George Lucas. There was a, a casting call out. And, um, Irene Lamb, who was the casting director. Yeah. She brought me, and she actually cast me in another film as well, The Eagles Landed. So that was really how I, it was, it was meeting with George Lucas that uh, got me the role of the fixer. So, have you got any um, anecdotes about your time when, when you were uh, in Star Wars? 
Well, I guess the, you know, the, uh, probably the one that's kind of come out is the fact that I took, when we were in Tunisia, I managed to rope Mark Hamill and Garrett Hagen and Coo Stark into going horseback riding, which <laughs> the insurance company, I'm sure, would not have approved of. <laughs> it's a little bit different these days, though, isn't it, in that kind of thing, because, I mean, you, you just got things done. Yeah, it was, you know, that was one of the things, because people ask me about it, uh, you know, I, I often think of Star Wars, especially A New Hope, as being feeling for me much more like an independent film um, I guess that was because we were on location and didn't have all the luxuries of large Winnebago's and things like that but apart from the sets it still felt, felt like very tight units you know it, it wasn't a big sprawling huge unit it, and and I think everybody was very personable and, and so uh, that was the other thing it was it was, uh, it was a real team effort <laughs> And I think because of that feel, um, it made it unique to anything else that was out there. Well, it is, you know, I think one of the, the, the first thing that, with Star Wars is the fact that it's completely original. And, and I do feel that one of the things that the filmmakers always have to keep in mind, what the audiences want is they, they're always looking for something original. Yeah. You know, we have so many sequels now and we have so many, you know, copies and spin-offs of things. But the audience really grasps on to something that is absolutely original and fresh. Yeah. You know, and I think that's true in the music business, the film business, theater, anything like that. New writing is a very important factor. Like you say, when, when something is unique and original, uh, it's few and far between. And uh, things do really stand out. Well, it, it stands out and... and, and you know, one of the things that Star Wars did also, because George Lucas was very astute, knowing and understanding the, the comic book world and, and, and I think being a fan himself, is that uh, he was very clever to hang on to the merchandising when nobody, you know, he, he taught Hollywood how to, yeah. do, how to do that aspect of the business. I mean, I don't know if it's true. Uh, the story was that um, when they were trying to entice Alec Guinness into to play the role of Obi-Wan, um, you know, we can't afford to pay you a great deal of money. And he basically said, well, just give me a percentage of the merchandising rights. Yeah, I think I, I, I understood that he did have, I think he, of, of all of the, the main lead actors, he had the largest percentage, yes. And that was just genius. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, it, was ge it was smart of Alec Guinness to accept it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, since you've done Star Wars, uh, what other roles have you been I, I then went, I did uh, the, the James Bond film, Spy Love Me, and then I, I worked on uh, Reds, actually Warren Beatty cast me as his brother, although there's not much in that, in, in that film either. Which, you know, when you, that's one of the things you have to accept as an actor, you're working in all these different films, and, and not everything you do is going to end up in the screen. You know, editor, you know, you... Film is a very limited medium in terms of time and length. Yeah. So there's a terrible expression that, that they have in the film industry. It's, it's, you have to be prepared to kill your babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause some films would be like three, maybe four hours long if they were. Yeah, if the directors had their way. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's the beauty of the, the modern medium of uh, 
the digital age yeah. is that you do have the extras and the bits that have been cut from them, so there's more chance of being seen. Yeah, and that, that's true. And that's, that's, for instance, with the fixer scenes, now people have become much more aware of them because now you can find them on YouTube and, and places like that. And, you know, the fans have asked for the whole film to be reassembled as the original script, yeah. which would make the film, yes, much longer. But I think now fans could probably actually handle that. They're, they're not worried about that because they become much more used to looking at a longer form film and they have the time if it's on a full length, you know, on a limited release, for instance. Yeah. yeah. What did you think of the, um, the special editions when they came out? There's a funny, there's a story about that, actually. I, I was in the screening in Los Angeles when the, when the Academy had a, the 30th anniversary screening. And they, um, when the film came up, George Lucas was there, a lot of people, Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill and that. But all the special effects people, all the, the, the editors and everybody who was involved, um, who won Academy Awards were there. And there was an no, audible sound from, from a lot of the crew in that, um, using certain expletives, saying, where's the film? Where's the film? Because they, they didn't like the digitized version. I can imagine. You know, a lot of film people in the film community are very much about trying to stick to the quality of film. The quality of film is very much different to digital. Mm -hmm. And so they were looking to see the, the graininess and the scratchiness of film. Yeah. I think that was one of the main reasons why J.J. Abrams decided to go back to, um, yeah. to using film. And I, I've actually had conversation with, with, with young fans who, you know, anywhere from the age of 12, 10 to, 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 say, 15 and that, and they've seen the, the, the uh, prequels, and then they've gone and seen the, the original three films, and they like they said and I said what do you like and they said we like the way they look yeah and so the human eye is very it's so you know it, it's such a complex uh, tool that the human eye can detect all of these qualities and differences between film and digital. Well, Anthony, thanks for, for your time. It's oh, yeah, my pleasure. It's yeah. been a great insight to uh, your your time when you when you were in Tunisia. Yeah, it's it was you know it, it's it's quite remarkable when you have you participate in, in a production that actually is, has this kind of longevity and this kind of fandom. Yeah. Um, you know, now there's generation after generation of fans being introduced, so it's, it's starting to feel a little bit like you're a member of a football team. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So, yeah, I really enjoyed talking to Anthony. He was uh, good fun to, to talk to. And uh, as you can probably tell, we were actually talking at the bar. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> you can hear the glasses clanking together and stuff in the background. But I approached him at the beginning of the Comic-Con and uh, he said, well, you know, things are a bit busy at the moment. Come and see me tomorrow at such and such a time. And uh, so I did. Strangely, the quietest place to be, even though it wasn't that quiet, was the bar. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, we had this chat there, and uh, it's, it's quite interesting with the character Fixer. Are you, are you aware of the, the Fixer character? No, no, I'm not. Fixer is quite pretty much what he does. He fixes things, okay? So All he's right. the guy that the teenagers go to to, to fix up their vehicles uh, when they're doing the racing across Tatooine. Okay. So he's the guy, and he was one of Luke's friends. And actually, back in the 70s, there was a radio play version of Star Wars. And there's bits in the radio play that didn't feature in the film. So... 
What's on the program for today, Fixer? Speed run, Skywalker. Speed runs. Oh? Let me see how much time I can shave off the back stretch. There's no way you can cut much more time off your lap, Fix. Hmm? You're almost matching Big's best time around Beggar's Canyon as it is. Yeah, well, Big's isn't here, and I am. I'm as good as he ever was. Oh, yeah, well, then why don't you thread the stone needle like Biggs did? Fluke. That ought to take five seconds or better off your time. Yeah, and Biggs is the only one who ever flew through it at racing speed. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I was just saying that if you want to improve your score, you're, you're gonna crazy, have... Luke. Why don't you guys go buzz the Womp Rats and take a few pot shots at him? The speed run stuff is going to get somebody killed. Hey, 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 what's the matter, Cammy? You don't think I can do it? Oh, Listen, anything the great Biggs Darklighter could do, I can do. I never said you couldn't, Fixer. Yeah, nobody was knocking you, Fixer. Besides, I don't need any shortcuts. Hey, do you want to try and keep up with me? Oh, Fixer. Huh? What, me? What, are you, are you scared, Wormy? <sighs> yeah. All right, oh, you're on. Crazy. Ooh, boy, we're me against the Fixer. Oh, That's going to be a slaughter. Well, then you can ride with All Fixer, right. Deke. What are we waiting for, boys? Let's go. Fixer, come back here, Fixer. I want this to stop right now. It was almost like the scene in Greece, you know, with the cars racing against uh, Luke Skywalker, and he manages to plow his vehicle into some rock somewhere and Luke wins the race you know just one of them things <laughs> <laughs> just one of those things and um, the character the fixer character had a girlfriend in the movie and it was played by Koo Stark I don't know if you're aware of Koo Stark she was an actress and model in the 70s and she was also Prince Andrew's girlfriend <laughs> oh is that all <laughs> Yeah, back in the 70s, Prince Andrew had the eye for the ladies. He really did. Huh. He was like the, uh, if you like, the playboy of the of the royal family. <laughs> Mummy and Daddy didn't approve of uh, Andrew uh, dating a model. Yeah, so Koo Stark was in, in Star Wars and in a scene that got uh, dropped. And, hmm. and so did the fixer character, but... Luckily, Anthony was given the chance to, to play the Stormtrooper and probably one of the, the famous lines in the <laughs> in the movie. Let me see your identification. You don't need to see his identification. We don't need to see his identification. These aren't the droids you're looking for. These aren't the droids we're looking for. He can go about his business. You can go about your business. Move along. <laughs> That's his claim to fame. <laughs> nice. I noticed a little bit in there about uh, digital versus film. Mm-hmm. You, the, I'm just wondering if you put that in there just because you knew that I'm a, I prefer film over digital. Kinda. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> I figured. But um, I thought, you know, I'm going to see it from the perspective of people that were there. And I, I know he'd been to a few of these um, red carpet events and things, and I wanted to see what he thought, but it was quite interesting that the people in the film industry were, where's the film? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, digital can be a bit too clean. Damn, man, Koo Stark was cute back then. Oh, yeah. Wow. You know, I had to look her up, yeah. obviously. Well, yeah. <laughs> you can see why he uh, had a thing for her, can't you? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I get it. 
Anthony has been involved in many things. Uh, do you remember the uh, the John Lennon Give Peace a Chance lie-in thing that they had in the big Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He was there. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't actually know that when I recorded this piece because um, he, he features in the L Street 1976 movie and he talks about it there and there's an actual photograph of him in that room with John Lennon. And I was like, Wow. If I'd have known that then, I would have asked him a bit more about that kind of thing as well. <laughs> but he's a musician as well. He's had albums out. He's done a bit of busking and things in his time as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's had a really interesting life. And he's just taken chances the whole time. And, you know, some of these chances have really paid off. So, yeah, he was a really interesting guy to talk to. I enjoyed that. I, I didn't know much about him uh, when I approached him. But, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to have met him. He's, he's following me on Facebook now. Um, hopefully we'll meet up again and have a chat. And It's great. I, I love cool. all this. I love all this. Fear. Fear attracts the fearful. The strong. The weak. The innocent, the corrupt, fear. Fear is my Christmas ally. Wishing you the dark side of Christmas and a fearful festive time at the Garbage Pod. With greetings from Darth Maul. <laughs> Now, the next one I didn't actually think I would be able to bring to you, and it's not the entire chat. Um, Do you you remember I had um, some technical issues and I lost quite a lot of content from my hard drive? Mm -hmm. One of the interviews that I lost was Dave Prowse, and uh, I managed to salvage a tiny bit of the interview that I did with him. Nice. Um, Unfortunately, I lost parts of it. Obviously, I had to make him an honorary crew member. Had to be done. So I presented him with the patch, but that part of it I lost Uh, uh, there are pictures of him holding his patch uh, which is up on the website now and he also signed my issue one of Star Wars comic you know the new releases of the Star Wars comic my version that I've got is a variant cover which has got um, Darth Vader and Boba Fett on it. And last year, I got to interview Jeremy Bullock, who plays Boba Fett, and he Mm -hmm. signed my comic next to the picture of Boba Fett. And there's a lovely, great white space next to Darth Vader. And I said, one day... I will get Dave Prowse to sign that. And when I found out that he was going to Wickham, I was like, yes... (laughs) So now I have got both their autographs on the cover of my issue one of the Star Wars comic. Well, that beats my Pepsi Perfect (laughs) by a landslide. So I'll play you a little bit of it, and I'll just explain the the scenario here. I wanted to find a decent place to interview him, and he didn't really want to leave the floor for too long. In the the building where it was the Star Wars room was in, as I mentioned earlier, it's part of a university complex, and 
next to this hall, there was kind of like a, I don't know what you could call it, like a utility room where there's like kitchen uh, equipment in there, like a microwave and a kettle for making tea and coffees and that kind of stuff. And I thought, well, we can just pop in there for a moment. And it's fairly quiet. You can still hear the, the, the hustle and bustle of what's going out on the on the show floor. I thought, well, yeah, let's try and get an interview in here. So I've got a little bit of it. It's about four minutes long, but it was what I got of Dave Prowse. I am with the legendary Dave Prowse. Now, Dave, um, everyone pretty much knows you for being in Star Wars. Um, what, what are your memories of being in the movie? When Star Wars was first mooted, um, I had an invite from George Lucas to to go for lunch with Alec Guinness, and um, and so there was, there was there was George Lucas, Gary Kurtz, the producer, Mr. Um, Alec Guinness, and myself went to this to this lunch, and uh, we uh, we went to a big Chinese restaurant up in Elm Street, like and I had this lovely lunch. When the lunch was over, um, Alec Guinness and myself we went back to the studios to meet up with the stunt arranger for the film. And, um, and it was up there then became obvious that the reason that we, that we were invited to lunch together was for, us to, for the two of us to meet, because I was obviously going to kill him off in the movie. Like any time we, we had a quiet period, uh, we used to go and sort of go into a, a quiet studio and then sort of practice the fight together, like two, like kids fighting in the back garden. So being Darth Vader must be a big part of your life then? I'm eternally grateful. Number one, I was given the opportunity by by Lucasfilm or George to uh, to play Vader. The thing the thing was is that when when Star Wars came out, they basically did um, obviously did everything they possibly could to decry some of my sort of efforts, as it were. You know, I, I, as far as they were concerned, I was just a, just another bit part actor, and, and and I was I was playing this this Darth Vader character, who um, basically they would have been quite happy for him to have been sort of nameless, as it were. But here I am, um, sort of an, an actor, sort of who, who um, has, has played a part in a movie, and 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 the part has been accepted by the public, has been been regarded now as the ultimate screen villain of all time. You see, because my name is up on the credits, it's Dave, Dave Prowse's Darth Vader, as it were. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll uh, you know, I'll, 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 put, I'll put Dave Prowse is Darth Vader on my on my autographs. And they didn't, they didn't like it very much. They, they said, would you mind putting that as, Dave Price as Darth Vader? I said, no. I said, I'll, I'll, put, I'll put Dave Price is. And, and it's continued on. I'd like to be able to cash in on this. Like, I want people to know that it was me that was acted, did, did all the acting. I mean, I did all the acting and I did all the dialogue. But everybody comes out and said, oh, well, it wasn't you that did the dialogue, was it? And I said, no, I did all the dialogue all the way through the movie. So we used to say to George, you know, what are we going to do about the dialogue? Because everything I'm saying is coming through the mask and is no good for reproduction purposes, you know. And he used to say, well, you know, don't, don't worry about it. We're going to the sound studios and re-record all your dialogue at the end of the movie. So I automatically assumed that it was me that was going to go into the sound studio to re-record all my dialogue. And then, of course, what happened was we, we finished the movie. They chased back to America because they couldn't get all the special effects that they wanted in the UK. And then when they were back in America, they suddenly obviously realized that they had no overdubbed than the overdubbing. And it was much obviously cheaper then to employ any voiceover artist um, rather than fly me all the way over from London to Hollywood just to overdub half a dozen lines or whatever, however much I had. And unfortunately for me, 
um, they couldn't have picked a better actor to overdub my lines than James Earl Jones. Now, away from Star Wars, I know you've been in lots of different movies and TV shows and um, commercials and all kinds of different things. What role that you've played um, means more to you than than any of the others? I was offered the part of the uh, the Green Cross Codeman, who which was the figurehead of the British government's child pedestrian road safety campaign, and without a doubt. It was the greatest job I have ever had. I mean, including, including Star Wars. And, um, and the next one, of course, is the Department of Transport said, well, you know, how would you like to prepare a talk and take it around the schools? You say, yes. So I said, yeah, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to, I'd love to do it. When we started the campaign, the road accident figures in Great Britain were fantastically high. They were running at 40,000 children a year were getting knocked down, injured, and killed on the roads. And when we finished the campaign, uh, we'd actually halved the road accident figures. They went down to 20,000. It was not the greatest of financial jobs, as it were, but it was lovely. I, loved, I, I would have done it for free, to be honest. I mean, I enjoyed it so much. Pretty amazing stuff talking to, to Dave. Uh, there was things I wanted to ask him, but I didn't want to ask him, <laughs> if you know what I mean. I, I, didn't, I think I know where you're going. I, I didn't want to upset him, but he kind of brushed on that a bit. Uh, I, I kind of see where they got a bit annoyed with him there. Um, that did surprise me with his response about the the, the role that he is in, you know, that meant more to him. It, you, you're obviously not aware of the Green Cross Code man. Nope. He's a superhero. Obviously, wears a big green cross on his uniform. Basically, he's watching the streets of the UK from a spaceship. And when children are in trouble because they're walking out between parked cars and that kind of thing, he beams himself down and says, Looks like you two need a lesson in crossing the road. Um, and he, he had the catchphrase, I won't be there when you cross the road, so always use the green cross code. And uh, I remember it <laughs> very distinctly. People of my age will remember it quite fondly that Dave Prowse was the Green Cross Code Man. More people know him as the Green Cross Code Man than they do as Darth Vader in the UK, which is bizarre. And as as we know, Dave isn't allowed to go to celebration and he, he's been banned from Star Wars weekends as well in Florida. Uh, huh. I don't know if that's been lifted. I don't know if that's a George Lucas thing or would that have changed now that Disney are in charge? But um, as we know recently, he announced that he's not doing any more overseas conventions anyway so right unless celebrations comes back to the uk which won't be probably for another 10 years because that's how long it was in between this one and the last one uh, as you can tell on on there i was i was a little bit forced in in the way i asked the questions i wasn't as as liberal as i have been in some of the others one because i'm talking to one of my heroes <laughs> two I didn't feel like I could be as liberal with him because, as I said, I didn't want to upset him. Right. And, yeah, it's, it just didn't feel right just coming out and asking unusual questions that you didn't know where it was going to go. So I, I stuck to the, the more traditional kind of questions to ask him. Mm-hmm. But it was good to talk with him, and it's it's great to have him as an honorary crew member of TGP Nominal. I didn't think that would ever happen. Now you got to get Anthony Daniels. 
Uh, yeah, he can be a little bit of a diva sometimes. Oh, my. Well, I'm sure he's very much in demand, too. Yeah, he is, very much so. I'd really need to go to one of the big conventions for that. Um, I mean, granted, I went to Celebration. I didn't see him at Celebration. I think he was there. I saw Warwick Davis. <laughs> he was on a on a Segway, <laughs> going around That's... the complex on the Segway. <laughs> Because he was doing a lot of the hosting of uh, some of the panels and things. A lot of the right. panels, actually. He, he sounds like he'd be fun to talk to. Oh, yeah. He hosted the... It was actually the Princess Diaries panel that they had there. Well, not panel, because it was just Carrie Fisher oh, and Gary. And... Uh, <laughs> Gary sometimes takes a disliking to Warwick for some reason. I don't know. Huh. Okay. <laughs> so there was a there was a part in there where he was chasing Warwick around the sofa <laughs> that they were on because he's like, well, keep him away from me. I think the first time he didn't like him because he had uh, an Ewok headgear on. He had Wicket's headgear on, and mm-hmm. he probably thought it's another dog. <laughs> <laughs> so the next interview was Kitty Brooker. I'm with Kitty Brooker, who's a professional cosplayer. Hi, Kitty. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, fine. Now, um, how many different costumes do you actually possess? I have an array of costumes at home. Too many to count. Um, one of my most well-known ones are Catwoman and Lady Death. And you make all these costumes yourself? Yes. Yes, I do. I've made a few costumes uh, working with EVA foam and heat guns and hot glue and yeah it's really really good fun so um, how long would it take to to, to make a costume um, making a costume can vary um, my first one took me a few months to do as I was learning like all the different patterns you could do and all the different methods like using casting foam and EVA um, but my recent one was Princess Peach and I managed to do that in a week but I was up from 7 o'clock in the morning and going to sleep at 12 really nice. I mean, that, that shows your commitment towards your fans. Yeah, yeah, just as a, as a thank you. Um, just for supporting me. And some people struggle to, like, take the first step into cosplaying and making their own thing. So I thought I'd give one away just to, so they can look at it and uh, learn from that as well. So you, you go to a lot of events then? Yeah, I've got them nearly every weekend at the moment. Um, so really, really busy. Um, I'm talking to a few cons in America for next year as well. thing isn't it if you're having fun doing it and uh, people are recognizing you and yeah. uh, for what you do and, yeah. and it's just great to see no, and it's really it's really surreal like we're at an age where everything's on the internet and i've got followers on facebook and they come to these cons and meet me and i recognize them and we can have chats and they know all about my life and i know about their lives as well because i look at seeing what they're up to and it's just really nice like it's like i said just a huge family even if you're a guest a trader or a follower like it's amazing that you can just all get along and be like a family so without even having met like a few times like you just know it feels like you know them really personally so it's really good so what would you say to someone who was thinking about getting into cosplay but you know they're yeah. on the brink but they're not too sure whether they should or not i was really nervous about like transitioning 
from modelling to cosplay. I'd always attended conventions for like six years, but um, I never thought about combining like um, illustration with costumes and actually taking a step into it. I just say go for it. I was really nervous at first, like with the reaction, how you build stuff. But then I thought, actually, I'm just having so much fun. Um, and I'm going off on a tangent with these costumes, but it's just a lot of fun. And if you're having fun, then who cares what other people think? It's all about like just thinking of yourself and what makes you happy. So it really does show that you enjoy what you do. So you can you can feel it when you talk. No, no, I'm, I'm loving life. It's amazing, and just wish I had more time to make more cosplays. Because I work full time as well, so just fitting all the time in to do all of this is a struggle at the moment. I really don't know how you do it. No. I really don't. <laughs> when you got six o'clock starts and then you're at a comic con the next day I was like oh but no I do it just to show people like how committed I am to this and how much work I put into it and so I could just see them like me and my partner he takes me to all the comic cons that we attend and we usually finish work about seven o'clock at night I've usually got really early starts as well we leave at four o'clock in the morning to travel across the country and then you've got a full weekend meeting people so it's a lot of hard work but it's so worth it when you actually get to keep meet the people in person that support you online it is incredible <laughs> so is he a cosplayer himself or he wants to cosplay and he constantly gets asked about that um i keep saying to him because i think he'd make a really good princess kenny and i haven't seen that done before so i'm trying to persuade him to go down that route but he really wants to cosplay Bane. so i think i'll just let him do I'll that know, one. a lot of guys <laughs> want to do characters like that yes, yeah yeah <laughs> Thanks for talking with us, Kitty. No worries, thank you so much. <laughs> so yeah, that was Kitty Brooker. Lovely to talk to. Very down to earth. A lot of what I call elite cosplayers are, how can I put it, pretty much up themselves. Kitty isn't. She cares about her fans. As as she said, you know, the costume, one of the costumes that she'd spent a lot of money making. Um, she actually gave it away in a giveaway competition on Facebook, I believe it was. Um, That's cool. As, as a gift. And uh, yeah, she loves meeting people. And as she said, and it also sort of goes along with what I was saying in the past about, uh, you know, Comic-Cons in the UK. There are a lot of them, and she's going to Comic-Cons every weekend. So it's a big business for her. One of the things I like about her is that she's endorsing real people, um, not model types, if if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And that's great as a role model for for young girls who want to get into cosplay, that they don't have to worry about what they look like, just dress how you want to at these events and have fun. Well, that's what it's all about. It's all just having fun. it's, It's acting, it's assuming the role of another person. You know, it's it just, it's all, I mean, I see a lot of that seeing as how I go to PAX East. Mm-hmm. So I see a lot of gaming cosplay. 
And there are some people where it's clear that they spent months working on some of their costumes because they're just fantastic. And you just sit there wondering, how the hell did they do that? You know, and even when they explain it, it's like, well, you know, I did this, I did this, I bought some of this. You're still just like, uh, just okay, I still don't get it, but it looks fantastic. I mean, it's to the point where there's actually forums out there where you can actually talk with people and learn how to uh, oh, yeah. work with different materials. I'm all for that too because if it's getting people out there and using their hands to, to create things, that can only be a good thing. Yeah, and well, not just that, but I mean, if you can put a smile on someone's face, even if it's just for 20 seconds, that right there could be worth it. That is for sure. I mean, these guys are, and girls are going to be the, the closest you're going to get to seeing the, the real characters. My impressions of cosplay and costuming has changed a lot since I've been doing the podcast. Well, it's it's easy when you first start seeing it. It's like, wow, those people are just dressing up in costumes. That's just kind of weird. Mm-hmm. But then as you see more of it and you see that they're just having fun and then you look at the costumes themselves up close and it's like, wow, that's really good craftsmanship. Of course, you're always going to see the ones that are crap, always. But it's very easy to see the ones where they took a lot of time putting it together. When you've got, uh, how can I put it, not so gender-centric costumes where you've got you know guys in predominantly female role character costumes and the other way around where i've seen well at celebrations i saw a male ray and uh i saw a female han solo obviously you're gonna get uh but you know female doctor who's uh, or doctors don't call him doctor who uh the pro yeah. the program is doctor who the character is the doctor um <laughs> Uh, you know, it's. I mean, if you if, if it's a character that you love and you want to pay homage to that character, then why not? And even if it's you know gender crossing for it, it's like ah, so what? They, if they really like that character, or they also are probably just doing it for some extra fun, just to get a couple of eyeballs and a couple of extra you know laughs at it. Yeah, which nothing wrong with that either. Mm-hmm. I mean, I keep telling my daughter she loves Assassin's Creed as much. Oh, okay, almost as much as I do. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we got for her for Halloween last year was the character from Assassin's Creed 2, Ezio Auditori. And she went nuts with it. She loved it. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got the gear uh, necessary for one of the later, one of the newer characters, Jacob Fry, which is Victorian London. Mm-hmm. And I've always told her, if I get the costume for him, I'd go up to PAX for one day as him. Mm-hmm. Just because it's fun. Why not? You know, and I'd go with her on Halloween as well. She'll go as one assassin, I'll go as another. And you don't necessarily have to be one of the characters, do you? You could be... A- your own character based mm-hmm. around that franchise. Sure. Um, why not create your own character? You do that too. I mean, people will ask you questions and that's all the better, to be honest. It's like, well, who are you? Well, I am my own character, but it yeah. is based around this theme. And uh, I see a lot of that with the steampunk stuff, actually. There's a lot of that going around. <laughs> Right, I've got one more interview to play in for this section, and let's get that underway. I'm talking with uh, John Scrivens, who's a, a comic book artist, and you've, you've been quite busy lately, haven't you? I have. Um, I've recently been doing a lot of uh, colour system work for uh, a guy called Mitch Gerrads, uh, who works at Vertigo at the moment on a book called Sheriff of Babylon. 
Oh, wow. So how did you get involved with that? Oh, it was through my friend Andy Clift, who used to help him out. So it's kind of just taking over the mantle and helping out where I can. So between that and doing sort of these sorts of shows, I've been quite busy, so... Because you, you started off doing um, stuff for uh, Dead Universe Publishing, didn't yes. you? Yes. Uh, one of your most famous ones is probably Little Terrors, isn't yes, it? Yes, which is the book that I came up with about ten years ago and finally started redoing it about four years ago. And then in October last year, we launched a Kickstarter for it and we managed to successfully fund it, so we've got the graphic novel. So. And you're the... Uh, one of the people behind also uh, Tootsman Loy as yes, well. Yes, I'm the letterer and the colour artist on that. So. Which, is a, which is an amazing comic, I must Thank you. We're um, working on number two as we speak, so I think the script's on its first draft, so... Wow. And from what I've read, it's quite exciting. So. <laughs> and the other thing you're involved in is uh, one of my uh, favourite group of people is the... Uh, the Joker Squad. Yes, I am a biker scout on my other days off. Not that I really get many days off. And you've, I've seen you in another outfit. I've got a Jedi as well. Yeah, I've so, seen that one yeah. as well. So uh, have you been to many events? Um, yeah, the last one I did was May Bank Holiday at the beginning of May. We were at Legoland raising £15,000 for Alexander Devine, which is a charity for terminally ill children. So it's a really fun weekend and I got to spend time around Lego, which is one of my other secret passions. <laughs> It just fits in with everything. That exactly. so funny enough. I've got custom Lego figures of my characters. That is so that's cool. That much of a, a thing for me. So that's brilliant. So uh, what, what's next for you? Um, the next is the next issue of Little Terrors, which I've got a script from Pat because uh, Pat Klein, who writes Toots Malloy, we're co-writing it. So he's written 90% of it. We've obviously sat and chatted about it, and so we've got the next issue I'm working on. Um, also, the next one with Torso Bear. We're all currently working on pictures and ideas for that which Brett's collating at the moment so I'll be at least doing some colouring on that if not a bit more potentially um, and also got and a book that Brett and I are working together called Moonicorn vs Warpig which is an all ages book which okay. is going to be a little bit different to what people are used to seeing kind of us doing but <laughs> it should be quite fun so I'll be looking out for that yeah. definitely <laughs> so um, where can um people get hold of you and um, my website is johnsgrims.com and the other one for Little Terrors is littleterrorscomic.com excellent and they're both on Facebook I'm on Twitter is at johnsgrims as well so I post everything up on there so well thanks for talking with us John my pleasure no worries you mentioned a few other people there Pat Klein who um, I know quite well he's a how can I put Pat Pat is like a living Captain America it's the best way of putting him are you saying he looks like Chris Evans no he fights for justice <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's actually training to be a police officer in the UK now oh, okay I, I don't think I've ever heard a, a British police officer with an American accent before <laughs> Is he going to have to? Sorry, is he going to have to learn to say, you know, hello, hello, what's going on here? <laughs> evening all, <laughs> evening all. <laughs> Lovely guy, absolutely wonderful guy, and yeah, he knows a lot about comic books. He actually used to work in a comic book shop as well as writing comic books. Um, they mentioned one there called Toots Malloy, which is a great comic. Uh, Toots Malloy, Blues Ninja. Uh, it's set in a world where the animal kingdom. It's a bit like Planet of the Apes in many respects, where the animals are running the planet. And Toots Malloy, he's a blues musician. Uh, he's a, some kind of um, 
primate and uh, he's a blues musician he plays a saxophone in a blues band he work, goes in these CD blues clubs and his alter ego is a ninja <laughs> Wow. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, the areas where he's from, it's like uh, it's a bit like Sin City mm -hmm. in many respects, um, and there's a lot of crime going around and things. And he, yeah, he comes out as his alter ego uh, as a ninja. Um, and he does get rather upset when you mention the kind of music he plays that is jazz because he's playing a, a saxophone they will make assume it's a jazz and mm. his ninja side of him has come out when somebody said oh you're a jazz musician no I'm not I'm a blues musician <laughs> <laughs> nice it was a really great story and as I say they've only had released one comic so far they've got the other one coming out soon so I I want that um, John was the the colorist on Toots Malloy and uh, he actually signed the cover and Pat signed the cover as well as as the writer and I just need to get the artist to, to sign it and he's difficult to get hold of but I will get the three signatures on that one <laughs> Yeah, so John, as I say, he's part of Joker Squad, which is uh, one of the Star Wars costuming groups that raise money for um, terminally ill kids. And he's a, a biker scout sometimes, and sometimes he's Obi-Wan Kenobi, younger Obi-Wan Kenobi, prequel type. And not only that, uh, John wants to help me out with TGP Taproom, which is a, a spin-off from the garbage pod which as you can tell it's all about beer <laughs> and as soon as I said about that he said oh yeah I'd love to help you out yeah. that. if that means going to beer festivals that's fine with me <laughs> well I'm out that's for sure <laughs> yeah but I know somebody I can get in for that one oh Jimmy Jimmy yeah uh, Jimmy was going to come along to um, the great British beer festival with us uh, for the podcast and uh, some things came up that he wasn't able to to attend uh, but he, he is willing to to help us out in future so uh, it'll be good to uh, hook up with uh, and I know that means a different thing in the states than it does over here I uh, know what you mean stop <laughs> uh, with Jimmy because he's a good laugh so yeah John great guy involved in lots of different things as you heard and uh, he also mentioned a guy called Brett a guy called Brett Uren who is a comic book writer illustrator and uh, I like to think we've done our bit to help him out on the, on the podcast because we did a TGP nominal extra episode a couple of months ago promoting his Kickstarter campaign for his comic book I'm not going to say comic because it's a book it's a volume it's a quite a thick uh, novel if you like uh, called Torso Bear which is a, a bizarre concept of a comic people that have listened to the uh, the extra episode uh, they'll know what it's all about but for, for yourself I'll, I'll let you know what it's all about Torso Bear is uh, a bit like one of these noir Scandinavian detective series where adult crimes happen but it's set in a toy town kind of world where all the characters are like teddy bears and that kind of thing. And everything is nice and fluffy, apart from one day one of the teddy bears is found decapitated with all the fluff hanging out. Huxley Bear is a detective in Toyberg Police Department and it's his responsibility to find out who 
murdered this teddy bear. It's an okay. In- it's an interesting concept, but it's great. It's really well illustrated, and they are great books. They're on the third volume now. They've just um, got funding. Um, and actually, 24 hours after Brett came on the show to talk about the book, they made their goal on Kickstarter. So um, I, I like to think we had a little bit of help for him there. <laughs> And, and Brett is a great guy, and he'd, he'd like to get involved with TGP Nominal as well. So I'm hoping that we can do more about comic book stuff and get Brett in on the show and, and uh, talk a bit about comic books. Right. Now that is the end of this section of the show. Uh, when we come back, we will have our guest. This is TGP Nominal. This year for Christmas, there's something I'd really like. So if you're up there somewhere, Santa, please don't bring me another bike. I don't need any ugly sweaters, and I don't play much basketball. But there's something kind of special that I want most of all. I want an alien for Christmas. So don't worry about a thing And I'll take him out for walks when it gets nicer in the spring I'll always keep him company, he'll never be alone And we can hang around the house all day and watch the twilight zone I want an alien for Christmas, bring me an alien this year holidays to all the listeners of TGP Nominal. This is Richard Garriott, uh, my honorary crew member. I'm uh, an astronaut. I flew on uh, Soyuz TMA-13 to the ISS in 2008. Some of you video game players may know me also as Lord British, uh, working on my newest game, Shroud of the Avatar. You know, as we are wrapping up one more trip around the sun, I know that many may lament getting one year older, but I must say that I am particularly excited about the current state of space science and technology uh, while we are 
uh, in a new golden era of space exploration, of human space exploration, where costs are coming down, access frequency is increasing, which means safety will also be increasing. And I, for one, I'm very bullish on my own ability to get back into space, which also comes along with the fact that I believe all of us will have an easier time uh, fulfilling our own dreams in uh, space beyond the Earth and maybe even on another planet. So here's to seeing you in the near future in space. Happy holidays. So before the break, we uh, said we were going to have a guest, and, well, we have a very special guest. We've got Dan White from Department of Ability. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well, thank you, sir. Yeah, always a pleasure to be on the Garbage Pod with you. Yeah, well, we seem to follow each other around like perpetual stalkers, which is, yeah, mutual stalkers, I think, is the phrase we should call ourselves. You stalk me, I stalk you, to eventually we just, we combust like matter and antimatter. That's about the size of it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's been a busy time for you from the last time we spoke, because the, the last time we spoke, we were a slap bang in the middle of London in, in a massive toy shop. Exactly. Well, where else would you rather be in London apart from a massive toy shop, but then realise <laughs> that you don't have any money and you can't buy anything at all? But no, that was... Yeah, the Hamleys party was was uh, uh, was an absolutely off-the-scale event, and I've just found out today that we're actually up in the ante and we're doing it again next year at Warwick Castle, so I very much like the garbage party to come down and cover the event on the day. Wow. Double the amount of kids and double the amount of celebrities and just double the amount of Department of Ability action. So invite, bang, done. <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. No worries, sir. Yeah, so from that, things have pretty much escalated because since then you've had some really big names involved with it, haven't you? Yes, I have. My agent managed to uh, put all the relevant paperwork under Stan Lee's uh, nose, who looked through it all and was chuffed to bits, absolutely loves the artwork, the concept and the characters, and um, it was uh, after that that we're, we're trying to actually to work out with him how we can help towards when the comic is published, either give us a quote or put it under his banner, but then again it all comes down to percentages and stuff through managers, agents, blah, 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 which is... T- Totally out of my remit, but yeah, and also the fact that um, I'm now working with Leah Moore, uh, daughter of Alan Moore. I don't have to explain that to anyone listening to this, obviously, but she <laughs> has come aboard to help me physically script the first part of the book. So we're now splitting it into two books because the story is so big. So I know the synopsis from beginning to end, but she's filling it with punchy, exciting dialogue, and I'm very honoured to have her on board. She's an absolute wonderful woman, and, and she's absolutely brilliant at what she does, which is writing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, she's from a, a very famous ilk, isn't she? She's Yes, <laughs> but she's fantastic in her own right at what she does, and I'm just very honoured to have, have her on board with this project that just seems to be touching the hearts of so many people worldwide. It's very humbling. I'm, I'm very honoured. It's basically because it is one of a kind. There is nothing else out there like it. I know it's one of those things that fell into my mind. You you mean, you know, the backstory about Emily's frustration about the lack of strong disabled characters and any media she came across, and it all all fell out of my rather erratic head from there and continues to bumble onwards. And yeah, it it seems to be so well received because they're just such an eclectic mix of strange characters all with really really good backstories yeah it's very interesting and and, and uh, from I, I don't know if you remember I sent you something about a thing called a, a cybathlon I actually sent that to my uh, one of my colleagues uh, Andrew Douglas because we he uh, actually activates and runs Parallel London which mm-hmm. we were involved with last year which is such a massive success right in the heart of Olympic Park 
We had 5,000 participants on the day, 6,000 families of all abilities, all backgrounds. And yeah, I think he was looking into that as a possibility of, of either going to again, if it should come up again, or actually getting them involved in parallel. It was just a mind-blowing thing you sent me. Absolutely brilliant. I, I just thought of some of the characters in, in your comic when I actually saw it, because, you know, there's, there is characters with, like, bionic parts to them in in the comic and i thought wow these guys would fit in just work just perfectly in a a cybathlon john i don't know if you're familiar with the cybathlon no no i'm not uh cybathlon is a bit like the paralympics but for people with uh exoskeletons and uh cybernetic implants and uh all kinds of things like that even for people with disabilities where they can't actually communicate apart from from through a computer uh, a bit Mm. like Stephen Hawking they can actually control CGI characters uh, like in racing games using their mind and actually compete against other individuals uh, or athletes the beauty of it is it's a bit like the Formula 1 in respect that the the driver or the pilot of the exoskeleton as they call it they uh, call them pilots which makes me think of like Megatech and things like that Um, uh, they get a medal and the people who actually designed the technology behind it they also get a medal as well uh, oh wow that's cool and they've actually it had the, the first one this year uh, in Zurich they're hoping that it's going to be as big as the Paralympics it's brilliant but frightening technology is absolutely incredible the minds behind it I mean they, they just get it completely it's, it was astounding to watch yeah I mean, and I'm sorry the geek in me just immediately thought of the Borg <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, you're Where's thinking, the queen? I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the, the transatlantic divide. You think Borg, we think Cybermen. See, that's where <laughs> it comes into, you know. yeah, either way, yeah. Distant cousins. <laughs> yeah, Cybermen. <laughs> no, 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 we have Doctor Who fans over here, too. Oh, no, 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 yeah, yeah. cool, cool. <laughs> but I think the Borg, the Borg are a bit more sexy, aren't they, really? At least their queen was. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, that killed that conversation stone dead. <laughs> 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 it's been a hectic year and lots of things are just gathering pace I mean I know, as now writing articles and submitting disabled cartoon superheroes to a, a bi-monthly magazine here in the UK it's like yesterday I had a big meeting with Scope and now Scope the UK's biggest charity have thrown their full weight behind me so there's filming projects coming up live podcasts coming up there's Irwin Mitchell and Strongbone still on board there's all these just wonderful wonderful people just just giving me all, all the backing I need but none of it would, would actually happen without the people at the grassroots that have begun with like yourself Mark who just championed me from the word go and I'll be eternally grateful for that for your continued support my agent as well Jess Jess who's come on board who's, who's just scooped me up and taken all the stress off my shoulders and just propelling this you know, into the ether, into the future. It's it's great experience, but very tiring today. <laughs> uh, and and of course it's been it's been taking you overseas as well. Yeah, Dubai, that that was incredible. On behalf of the British Council, went over there for the, the whole conference and closed the conference with a whole speech on disability media inclusion, the Department of Ability, and where I'd like to see the media change. And there's also New York in April where we're actively trying to promote this uh, disability led comic con 
which the students themselves have called Cryptcon, and it's going to be open to all ages and all abilities. But that's going to be in Syracuse. They're all flying out there, and we're working on that feverishly now. Uh, apparently, I've just been told I've been invited to Australia and India and Nigeria and places like that. So yeah, it's all gone a bit, all gone a bit bonkers. And just January's lining up to be a big month as well. We're filming along the Thames and going to see this and that and talks at Parliament. So yeah, it, 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 I need a PA, John. What are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I can at least say this. Syracuse is not far from me at all, so I might really? actually be there to see you. I would like that. I would re- I'd be honoured if you did come down. I'll, I will grab your details off uh, Mr. Garbage POD and, and send them all to you. Okay, great. I, I, I literally, be better than great. I literally pick up Interstate 81 just a few miles from my house, and it's about four hours north, right off of Interstate 81. Oh, please do. That'd be fantastic, John. Thank you. Give me the details. So, I will do. Done. I mean, we can, we can represent then. <laughs> <laughs> you can podcast from there. You can you can ring me on on the a tinternet, as my dear old mother calls it. I'd imagine they would have pretty good facilities there. Yeah, they have. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're also flying in the band that did the theme tune to the Department of Ability from Australia, so they're they're coming over to do a, a gig in the evening, and <laughs> me and Emily are on the panel and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, it, next year is going to be a big year. I hope not just for the Department of Ability, but also for the. The charities I'm involved with now, like Include Me Too, which I'm working now with a wonderful lady called Palmy Deshan mm-hmm. and Surfability, who've come on board, and Parallel London, who've come on board. So there's, there's many fingers and many pies, and I just hope they're all steak and kidney, because I like steak and kidney pie. And apple pie. <laughs> yeah, because John's here. Yes, apple. Not stereotyping Americans at all, but it's always apple pie. Yeah, oh, sorry. Well, yeah, you get that. that. That's part of who we are. Exactly. Have that. Oh, sorry, sorry, Mark. This is your show. I'm waffling. Um, no, yeah. no, don't worry about it. It makes content. That's the main thing. <laughs> <laughs> filler. It makes filler, doesn't it? Yeah. Filler's good. But yeah, I'm just and we're having fun. Yeah, we are. We are having fun. Just admiring uh, listeners uh, John's amazing Star Trek T-shirt. You should yes. really see it. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah, John has quite an array of T-shirts and posters and uh, <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I can see the Labyrinth one and Star Trek Drew the Labyrinth Khan, which is uh, the oh. ultimate Trek film. You look just like me. It's nice to have an expensive hobby. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's not as many of the excellent frame posters as you've got. They're, they're uh, just brilliant. You've still got Especially the, Star Trek. Too. Love you, it. I see you've still got the Doctor Who scarf. Yes, yes, I've got that. And now <laughs> it's winter time. I can actually wear it without, without looking like some sort of sweaty velvet buffoon in the middle of London. So yeah, now, now I can actually wear that in the winter time. Uh, another plus side of being a self-employed artist and writer and cartoonist is, is being able to purchase a plethora of velvet jackets I now have four so I can look <laughs> even more pretentious when I'm swanning around one get, of them's three quarter you need to get yourself a cravat now sir oh yes I do and a top hat with a cuckoo clock in it <laughs> I'm serious about my craft very yes serious. I see that <laughs> <laughs> So, apart from traveling over to the States next year, what else have you got coming up? I mean, I know you've, you've just mentioned the the next party over at Warwick Castle, which will be pretty amazing. That'll be uh, July, so I'll let you know. Yeah. Obviously, Parallel, that's going to be in September again, will it? September again, yeah. We're moving the whole thing back nearer to the train station, so it'll be easily more accessible for any wheelchair users that want to come along. And we're doubling the size of the festival and we're inviting more and more people into the festival. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be amazing. But it will be here just like that. I know it will be. But, yeah, yeah there's this other stuff going on and stuff filtering in all the time. I'm up at the Huddersfield Literature Festival giving a speech and 
back to Parliament and working with these other charities and then doing, like I said, live live podcasts and, and interviews for Scope and filming bits and bobs. So, yeah, it's all Department of Ability and a whole arena of um, disability media inclusion is branching off for me into all sorts of wonderful, various things I can do now, like talking and... I can talk. I, I like to talk. Probably John's realising this now. He switches off <laughs> his microphone to not listen to me. But yeah, it's given me some great opportunities to do some wonderful stuff with some amazing people. Trust Absolutely me, well, when, when we get going, we can talk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's Trust good. Me. Trust yeah. me. <laughs> and the power of editing. Now here's Dan. Hi. Right. And that was Dan. And now where was it, John? <laughs> <laughs> Nah. Well, I think we kind of glossed over it. What exactly is going on up at Syracuse that is bringing you over here? Because I don't think we actually talked about that. No, what it is, uh, is the, the head of disability studies, Diane Wayner, has... She reached out to me when she saw the Guardian article which broke about um, Stan Lee, which I must say that article was written by the, the brilliant Dr. Francis Ryan, who writes the best articles for that paper. But what it's going to be is an all-accessible disability-led comic sci-fi fest thing so there's going to be debates on disability in the wider media and disabled superheroes blah 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 blah. but there's also going to be workshops and props and panels and all sorts and we're aiming to make it incredibly huge we're doing it on site of Syracuse but we're still in the planner stages and we're getting all this stuff in like I said but the band's coming over from Australia so there'll be a gig and evening there'll be film shows workshops merchandise all sorts of stuff and it's just going to be hopefully be the the, the first of many and put it right on the map so i hope you're going to be in touch now i've got links with the british council touch up with the british council new york and see if actually they want to get involved but john it would be an honor for you to come down i, I, I that'd be sweet i Absolutely. think we can arrange that so yes. it's going to be focused on comics and and sci-fi and stuff like that but it's going yeah. to be so you can, anybody can go to it but it's Anyone going to have more go. of a focus on handicapped issues involving those topics yeah yeah okay. but for, yeah like you said but for all abilities to come down and see what it's all about and mark's coming he's flying uh he's flying virgin atlantic business class i think yes i'll uh, i'll have i'll have words with alan gray see if he can get a word in with richard yeah. branson for me yeah out there with buzz Aldrin. yeah there you go well, Thompson around yeah taking <laughs> selfies look at me and buzz Aldrin. <laughs> that guy's amazing hey, I, <laughs> I got my selfie with richard gary and i'm happy <laughs> yeah, I've got mine with Peter Capaldi. Like that, dude. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And I just seem to have got my photo taken with a load of slave layer costume cosplayers for some reason. That um, in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing, though. It's not really, is it? I, I love how you're glossing over it in a, in a sort of like semi-terrible way. Oh, it's, so, it's awful for me. I didn't know where to put my face. Well, you know what I mean? When you said you didn't know where to put your face. It's just a saying. You probably did not. Uh, let's forget I said that. <laughs> We're trying to keep the show family friendly. Come yeah, on. Family friendly, yeah. And now sports. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was interesting in a way when you told me about the convention itself because like, the first thing I thought of have, have you actually spoken to um, Simon and JJ from Field of Force Day about it yet? I have, yeah. I, I spoke to them briefly about it uh, when we were up there at Peterborough mm. and I've tried to put Diane in touch with them but I don't think they've actually crossed paths yet but where they're both, they're both coming at things from the same angle so I think it'd be really, really good if they both did chat Yeah, because I think they could, they've got a lot to share because what they've done with Field of Force Day is just incredible. I spoke to Simon uh, briefly about it last year uh, about going international with Field of Force Day, and he said there is a lot of red tape uh, to try and do one of these events in America, mainly because of the how can I put it kind of like the suing culture. 
yeah, <laughs> things yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of things you've got to overcome, especially when you're dealing with people with disability. There's a lot of red tape involved. Not not only red tape. It's it's, it's we're having the same issue when when booking the, the flight, physically booking the flight for Emily. I've, I've asked so many air airplanes. Three simple questions. No, a will her wheelchair be stored safely? B can I see to somewhere I can easily get in or out? And is there somewhere I can easily do her toileting in private? And no one seems to have a, a perennial answer for any of those questions. They keep pushing me from here to there. It's like three simple things I just want to know. Yeah, I, I, I know where you're coming from because I, I spoke to well, I've spoken to quite a few Olymp- uh, Paralympians, as you know. Uh, I was talking to some people who were out in Korea in um, 88 when the, the games were in Seoul and they were literally lifted up on their wheelchair to get into the plane via yeah. fork, forklift truck on the forks. I don't doubt it. Yeah, I don't doubt it. <laughs> so it's like, well things haven't changed that much. They haven't, no, no. There's all sorts, there's all sorts of promises, isn't there? But it's, it's like you find it it's like it's like what's it the the talks on greenhouse gas emissions it's all talk and no action isn't it we mm-hmm. do this talk every year then we'll do it again next year and we'll all have a nice lunch that's basically what these things are all about it's just mm. a great get together and uh yeah shall we go on a jolly in another country yeah that'll be fine thank you yeah let's all fly there are <laughs> massive planes with fuel bursting out and then talk about greenhouse gases yes <laughs> The International Irony Talks 2017. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you got that sorted now for, for the flights and things? or It's still ongoing. So it, in the meantime, as that's ongoing, um, Leah, over the next few days, will be sending me the, the final script for the publisher's package. Mm-hmm. Then it will, once I've okayed the script, it will go off to her favoured letterer, who will be putting in, obviously, all the box-out speech bubbles, bloody, bloody, blah. It will go back to my agent, and then she will go around the publisher's saying, right, here's the final package. I mean, she's spoken to quite a few who are, who are chomping a bit to have a look. Once we get a deal in place, then we can finish drawing the last few pages, and then hopefully, by latest June next year, the first book will be out, and it's going to end on four cliffhangers, I've decided. So yeah, the story's so big, I've had to split it into two, otherwise I'll just, it would get out in, in 2026, otherwise. But I've come across this with uh, a few of the other com- comic book writers that I know, that they end up doing them in volumes, because yeah. they're so big. I don't know if I mentioned it, I had a, a writer on not too long ago, I mentioned, mentioned it earlier in the, in the show, actually, a guy called Brett Uren came on, who's endorsing his comic book, and did it on a Kickstarter program, and, uh, you know, within about 48 hours of being on the show, it actually reached their goal, so it was brilliant. pretty good stuff. <laughs> no, that, that's brilliant, that's, that's the power of it, isn't it, reaching out to more people, that's why podcasts like yours are absolutely imperative, absolutely essential. That brings me into the question that I was going to ask, had you considered something like Kickstarter to fund this? I did originally, but um, it, it generated very little unfortunately but it was at that point my agent came on board and said no this this needs to go to a mainstream publisher because obviously the premise is that this is a fully accessible mainstream story for any kid to enjoy that regardless no, the, the characters have physical disabilities but that's it 
Mm-hmm. That's it. You just have to get on with the story. I mean, uh, each character has got a backstory that I will be exploring, hopefully, if the thing's a success. I, want, I mean, there's so many backstories. There's the last hero's backstory. Why is he the last one? Where was the Great War and stuff like that? So, yeah, there's plenty of options. Now I think about it, she's absolutely right. This does need to go to a mainstream audience to hopefully be sort of like a, hopefully one of many catalysts just to promote disability as something that just should just should be there. Being going to be enjoyed by all. Let me get this right. The last hero is, well, pretty much what he says on the tin really is the last yeah. last remaining superhero he's the last of the saviour knights who were charged with guarding the earth from a, a troop of bad guys but there was one final last war and he was the only survivor and he's over the course of so many years brought together these five heroes to, to train up as to be the new guardians of the earth because they're after the last war people were just sick of sick of heroes sick of fighting and no one stepped up to the plate so he literally scoured the earth and it took him so long to fight these these five who were willing to do it hashtag spoiler well not really because you've mentioned it before the character oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> lawyer <laughs> see I'm American I'm suing you now <gasps> that's alright I've got alright you can have a flat phone and one Dubai coin and a hair grip there you go there you go <laughs> just like a Time Lord's pocket. I just need a ball of string and some jelly babies. And that's it. <laughs> so you're getting all this, and I've had, I haven't had any coffee yet. So you're, you're quite lucky. <laughs> yeah, I have seen you on coffee, so it's like... Yes! <laughs> hey, everyone. It's Steph Evs of The Stimulus, wishing you and your loved ones a very happy holidays and a science-filled 2017. Crichton, what's in this box? It looks like a small red dwarf garbage pod, sir. What, a full one? No, sir, we stopped using the small ones a long time ago. Well, let's open it then. Oh, God, that stinks. I thought you said it was empty. Sorry about that, sir. Sometimes the little suckers get away. That's disgusting. Oh, no. It won't close. There's a message, sir. Say Merry Christmas Garbage Pod to close. Ah, oh, Crichton, you know I hate Christmas. It's the only way, sir. Well, I'm not going to do it. That stench. Come on, sir. You can do it. Just a little one. Ah, oh, yeah. Okay, anything just to get it closed. Merry Christmas Garbage Pod. Look, sir, it's working. There now, sir. That wasn't so bad, was it? Merry Christmas, Garbage Pod. Bye-bye, little fella. I'm writing a book review for the new Tom Fletcher book, The Christmasaurus, because Tom's a, a champion of RGK wheelchairs. He's written this amazing book about this boy called Tommy Trundle, who, as you find out, quarter away in the book, owns a wheelchair. But he's done such an amazing job because, yeah, he's in a wheelchair. That's it. Absolutely brilliant. The book deals with, with more bullying than loss in his wheelchair. It's absolutely brilliant crafty stuff. So that's what I've been reading up until uh, up until today so we, I'll be reading that finishing that about two in the morning and then slogging away a book review on that but it was interesting because I went up to London to see Scope and had a brilliant meeting at Scope and on the way up there I was reading Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas 
and on the way back I'm reading a children's book so it's a good juxtaposition on train journeys going up <laughs> it's just you find a lot of books I read and a lot of books Emily reads with wheelchair characters they're all pretty clumsy or clunky or they're all put in there for the R bless or that the author immediately thinks they have to have this wheelchair character then they have to explain why they're in a wheelchair and what this disability is and stuff, stuff like that they, they seem panicked but Tom he's just absolutely nailed the fact that you don't have to do that mm-hmm. this kid's just in a wheelchair and, and he picks his nose and he swears and he's, he's, he can be a pain so I, I think it, it's wonderfully written and I've just found out he follows me on Twitter <laughs> <laughs> The, the, uh, I don't know if you saw it didn't actually last very well because it only went one one season I think but they, they remade Ironside did they? yeah and the Ironside character uh, firstly is black yeah. so that was the, the inclusion thing they were trying to do there he's in a wheelchair yes he is but he can still kick butt in this wheelchair because he's got upper, upper body strength he can chase you with a wheel with his wheelchair, and once he gets hold of you, he gets you in a neck lock, and that's it. You're not getting away from him. <laughs> He's a fantastic character. I never knew they remade that at all. Yeah, um, was it last year, year before. Yeah, was that was it Raymond Burr? Was it Raymond Burr? Yep. Yeah, Raymond Burr. Yeah, was the original. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I do remember the original. I also remember, uh, uh, I don't know if you remember, Frank Cannon. <laughs> and I remember oh my Frank God. Cannon. <laughs> yep. The perfectly built private detective. Yeah, Frank Cannon. William Conrad. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I just to love his name. <laughs> but yeah, I never knew that about Ironside. That's something else. I have to look. I have to Google that. <laughs> Ironside. Thank you, Mr. Pod. But uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And... and um, and I thought, yeah, this could be a turnaround, but I, I don't think it got through to a second season, which was a, a blow. That's because yeah. everyone's so unhealthily obsessed with ratings, though, aren't they? Mm. That's what I mean. That's what I love about Netflix. They just don't seem to be bothered by that. They just produce shows and put them on there, and it's great. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's only the, the companies like Netflix and Amazon and things like that. They're the only ones that are willing to actually take risks. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's what. I'm, that's what I'm, I'm hoping they're going to commission the, the Dan White and John Berger show very soon. <laughs> which I've just done the draft script for with special appearance by, by the Garbage Pod. Three, three, three superheroes have come together via the ones of podcasting, the fight crime, and also sit around a lot. <laughs> okay, so then my specialty will be cool T-shirts. Yeah. Oh, yes, um, definitely. So, what, what would the others be? My special, <laughs> my speciality will be uh, a, a top hat with a, a cuckoo clock in it. Yeah, okay, that works. Yeah, and Mark's will be okay. surrounded by uh, uh, slave layer girls. Gold, there, you <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you'll be like the you'll be like the man in charge, telling us what to do, send us out on our missions. Sounds like Charlie, doesn't it? Charlie's angel. It'd be that kind it of does, character. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You won't see me. There's just a little speaker box on the desk, and I'll be just like you know. <laughs> You'll hear my voice, and that's it. <laughs> well, I'll be Cheryl Ladd, then. <laughs> I've got a figure for it. <laughs> well, then I can't say who I'd be, because that would be an insult to whoever I'd mentioned. <laughs> so... <laughs> I get the feeling I'm going off track here. I do apologise. Well, no, we've have... always we have always considered any of our interviews to be like we're just at the pub having a pint. 
that's no, how we I'll, always I'll, yeah. that's how we always conduct it. So you're, we're we're all good with it. We'll get back on track when we need to. I'm in great company and I'm loving it, and it's just great. And it's great to meet you finally, John. Absolutely Thank you. Brilliant. And you'll actually get to meet me in person in a few months, it seems. Yay! Oh, that'll be cracking. Jolly <laughs> <laughs> good. Yes. But anyway, Mark, so I digress, yes. As you trying to do a serious job. <laughs> yeah. Trying, to get, yourself a, trying to get yourself a job on BBC Radio 4, and I'm just putting you off, right? Radio 4? Good <laughs> <laughs> to the radio spots. You're listening to BBC Radio 4. That's <laughs> yeah. Now on BBC Radio 4 is the garbage pod, yeah. Followed after by the shipping forecast. Yeah. <laughs> But I do have to say a very big thank you to the school Benjamin Franklin in France who contacted me recently where I've discovered that all the children at the school have been studying the Department of Ability and following the Department of Ability and sent such beautiful messages across that I sent them a big box load of goodies yesterday as, as a big thank you and yeah they're in Paris and we've been invited out there but I just want to say a big thank you to them and all the kids because that absolutely made my day that email because that just wow. shows what it's all about and how far it can reach globally. That's amazing. Oh, it's wonderful. From from how it started, yeah, what it's evolving into, it's just an amazing thing. And you know, I I saw the the, the whole premise of the Department of Ability, obviously at the early stages, and thought this could be something amazing. And, yeah, and, uh, and it's just one of those things that you just you go with it every day and, and hassle people with it every day, and and it's just now it's taken a life of its own. Which is absolutely wonderful. Even before the first book is out, which which is incredible, you know, all the foundations have been laid for their entrance into the world, and it's just the best job ever drawing it and and co-writing it and and stuff like that. the outlandish things you can do with with wheelchairs and prosthetics. You know what I mean? It's it's just fun. No limits to the action. And I'm I'm guessing you you are finding out a lot of things that you didn't know about getting into the comic book world as well. Oh yeah, hell of a lot of stuff. I mean, uh, it's it's opened up a whole. You think the amount of comics you read and and stuff like that, and uh, and the people you follow. But yeah, it's it's a whole, whole, massive industry. Mm-hmm. It does take time, but it's 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 very exciting. I wouldn't, wouldn't be doing anything else. Would not be doing anything else. Much like y- yourselves, there, guys. You it's, know, it's just. It's, why, why would you want to do anything else? <laughs> that's the thing, guys. Because. For, for myself, I mean, I, I lost my job in 2010, and during that time, it wasn't a great time to be looking for work. And yeah. I thought to myself, what can I do that I'm good at that I can get on with as a project? And through other people that are involved in the podcasting world, I was kind of inspired to, to have a go. And they said, well, if I can do it, you can do it. So I decided to, to get involved and do something, and that's where the Garbage Pod came along. And then, obviously, I noticed that uh, a lot of space and sci-fi and superheroes and things were coming into the podcast quite regularly, and I thought, this is going to scare off the straights. You know, it's going to be... you know. The <laughs> <laughs> so um, I thought, right, I think I need to make a spin-off here. <laughs> yeah. So TGP Nominal was born. 
Yeah, and like a phoenix from the flames, it's just got it's just gone on and on and on. And yeah. I'm just it's just nice that we're sharing that these uh, collective journeys together as we're going along, and it's great that we're still doing it. Like I said, getting you down to Warwick next year, and there'll be other stuff that I really want you heavily involved in next year, Mark, when it all comes up. Yeah, if sure. you're up for it, and I know you will be. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So if Department of Ability decides, you know, somebody picks it up and you know, publish says, okay, we're going to run with this. Are you just going to keep it restricted to England for now, or no, are you no, looking no, for something? more global something global something real. I mean because it was we're fortunate we were on the Today Show in the States anyway and there's a lot of okay. people in the States have seen it and absolutely loved it I'm finding that it can easily be it's easily transferable from culture to culture to continent to continent because there's no hang ups about it at all and it's just been well received anywhere but yeah I'd just like to see it go as far as it can go and from the offshoots of that I'd, I'd, I'd really like to be able to do all the little things that I've always wanted to do like set up a foundation based on the guys you know little pipe dreams I'd love to have like a, mm-hmm. a charity I could have where I could bring in old wheelchairs and old, old things like that and do them up and give them away to you know countries all around the world and things like that just little things I'd like to be able to do get uh, more into writing and more into broadcasting and things like that what I need to know I need to know someone who does a podcast oh hello Mark oh the dog's come in hello Scooby <laughs> hello Scooby are you being a pain come here come here Hello, my name's Scooby from the Department of Ability. Go on, down you go. Go on. Go and scratch at the door and whine. What you usually do. Go on. Get off my headphone cable. I'm trying to be organised and show off. Right, that's it. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so the thing is, with everything being global, inclusion is not a regional thing. It's global thing, isn't it? So, I mean, there's people everywhere in the same predicament. That's why people are reaching out to the comic. I like to feel that, and it's nice to have some little, making some little dent in that whole inclusion thing. I mean, now I've, I've made some wonderful friends who've all got the same things I want to see achieved, like the, the wonderful, beautiful Sam Renke, the girl from the Maltesers advert. I don't know if you've seen that, Mark. Yes, I have. Yes, <laughs> a great, great, great friend now. And Adam Pearson, who makes all those wonderful documentaries for Channel 4. Another great friend, and Hannah Cockcroft, who even called me a, a, a globe-trotting ponce. So that means, obviously, that she's endeared herself to me, and things like that. It's just great that the people I've met along the way. I mean, fantastic things like Mick Scarlett and, and this wonderful lady called Alison Beavers, who champions for more accessible toilets, and, and just Posability magazine, and this school in France, and Palmy from Include Me Too. It's just it's just absolutely incredible. It is. It's, it's, shouting for the same thing, and as a collective, we're getting louder. Definitely. That's, that is a really fantastic feeling to be honest well and you're also coming in at a good time because at least here in the states comics are starting to have a resurgence they're starting to you know get more people getting more involved in it you know because it was obviously really big for a long time then it kind of petered off once the internet came about and now it's starting to come back in a really big way and uh, so you're coming in at a good time too yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, it, I remember the times when it was uh, the physical, having a physical comic in your hand was something that wasn't really heard of, and, and now they're just back everywhere, which yeah. is good. Because a lot, I don't know if Mark's knows, a lot of the children's comics you see over in the UK are essentially just a free gift with a comic attached to it. Yeah, pretty and much. And it's dreadful, and you have to really look through the racks to find the little DCs and the Marvels and the little Commando books that you get. You really have to look for them, but that's the ones everyone wants to read because they're full of stories. Yeah stories and art which is what people want stories the, and art the, and dynamic the, poses and things the, the little mini comics um, that were, were always what my mum used to buy me when 
when we were going on a long journey in the car though because they yeah. lasted longer than the your average yeah. comic because you had about four maybe five stories in 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 the one comic what did i got? i got off ebay the other day and i forgot what it was called but it was uh, uh forces in combat it was a uk comic and it had five different stories you had rom rom the robot i think is still it's wow. been bought back by marvel rom and there was a cowboy story and a karate story and things like that forces in combat and it was like you said it was a succession of all these different stories just comics back to back wonderful this is what I like about um, uh, I take it you know of um, free comic book day yes uh, obviously the first weekend in May I think it is and the the comics that they give away are almost like that in many respects because they're trying to sell as many of their characters as possible in one comic yeah. Uh, so you've got like a crossover about five or six stories, and uh, I I actually like that more than I do the actual comics themselves. Yeah, the fact that's that you've great. got all these crossovers. Yeah, that's no, brilliant. Because like the Doctor Who weekly I've got on there, the first issue you had a Doctor Who story, then an Enemy story, then you had like an HG Wells story. Wow. All three of them back to back in there. That's what I used to brilliant. like about when they brought back the Eagle comic in the yes nineteen eighty two yeah. yeah. Because you had so many different types of stories, I don't know if you are aware of the Eagle comic, John. No, no. Well, no, they, they did some photo stories, didn't they? Yeah, uh, they Doom Lord. Speech bubbles in Doom Lord. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, Doom Lord. <laughs> oh, it was it was really tacky photography, but the stories were great. Uh, yeah. Eventually, they actually got them properly drawn rather than a photo story, but. Um, yeah. But the, the the Eagle comic used to feature around one of the main characters, which was Dan Dare, uh, the pilot of the future. Uh, and uh, his uh, adversary was the Mekon, which yep. was a, a green alien thing with a massive forehead. Um, it, it went around on went around on the Petri dish. Yeah, he floated in the air. <laughs> <laughs> It's a bizarre concept, John. You just, you just have to look it, look it up. Look up Dan. Yeah, there. you see, you see, John. We have all the all the really cheap sci-fi in the UK. <laughs> all the really cheap sci-fi, didn't we? All the really low budget stuff. Actually, you can buy a Haynes manual for all the spacecraft in the Dan Dare stories. Wow. Yeah, you can. I've just picked up the Enterprise one from a from a charity shop. The Haynes one. I want the Haynes um, Space nineteen ninety nine Eagle Transporter one. If that should come out, wow. that's the one I want. There you go. I uh, think they should do that with all the Jerry and and stuff the um, going back from like well Fireball XL5 UFO yeah. all of them yeah no they should do they should do a TARDIS <laughs> one but God knows how big that be <laughs> yeah 26 volumes there we go yeah, exactly <laughs> but it would only fit in the size of you know a half a volume though it's when you open it that it becomes really big uh, oh, pop- he's right he's right yeah right, pop- tip my pop- hat to that one pop up edition yeah. <laughs> Anyway, Mark, I will have to breeze him. Is there anything else you really want to quickly ask? No, I think you've covered most of the things that you're going to be doing. And uh, it's always fantastic to talk to you, especially uh, on a a special edition like this, our Christmas show. I'll keep you in touch with everything that's going on, and please come down to it. John, very good to meet you, mate. Very good to meet you. Good to meet you, too. And hopefully I'll actually meet you for real in, uh, what, five months. Have a Merry Christmas, guys. Yeah, you too. (laughs) Bye-bye. Back at the Justice League, Wonder Woman defends the reputations of Mark Taylor and John Berger of TGP Nominal. Batman, you've got it all wrong. 
Mark Taylor is not the man you're looking for. We still don't know much about him. Obviously, he's a time-traveling warlord. He's littered the streets with buildings he's stolen from other time periods. What have you been smoking, Batman? Mark's not a warlord. He's the host of TGP Nominal. Hawkwoman, can you please talk some sense into Batman? He's lost it. He's not a warlord. At least he wasn't at first. When we chased him to the Old West, all he was stealing was historical trinkets. What? No, 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 no. You've got Mark mixed up with some DC villain. He's causing severe damage to the space-time continuum. Uh, the degradation is increasing exponentially. Are you hearing me? When we were in the Old West, I got a good look at his time belt. Mark doesn't wear a time belt. I've written a program that should disable it. If we can get close enough to upload it. Now see here, Bruce. Mark is much too busy doing a show to be messing around with the space-time continuum. If we can get our hands on the belt, maybe we can stop any of this from ever happening in the first place. Okay, that's it. Look, I'm gonna tell you one last time. Mark is the host of TGP Nominal. They talk space, technology, sci-fi, comic books, gaming, gadgets. It's a podcast. In other words, he's not the guy you're looking for. Okay, I've saved the day once again. Can we now move on, please, and finish baking the Christmas cookies? Hi, Mark. This is Laura LaRue wishing you, John Berger, and everybody listening to your great show, TGP Nominal, a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Spamhead Productions are a small, independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spamhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spamheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. So, John, it's been a really interesting Christmas show that we've had this year. I mean, we've been reviewing some of the conventions that TGP Normal have taken part in. We've had little messages from friends of the podcast scattered throughout the show. Just met. Uh, well, not just met. We've had Dan White I've on the show. I've just met Dan. Yeah, you just met Virtually Dan. Virtually speaking. We'll always have a good time when, when Dan's on the, on the show. Uh, to be honest with you, when I, what I normally record with Dan is about half an hour, and then there's probably another hour of stuff <laughs> that we just talk about in general anyway. That's kind of like when we record for our show, though. Uh, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. But he's such a great guy. He's involved in so many different things. And then to foster a child as well, whilst he's got the, all this going on, I mean, he's, right. he's literally got no time for himself. And he's so selfless about things as well. He just does things for people and yeah, a really amazing guy. No, I enjoyed talking with him. And he's on the same wavelength as us as well. And so that, that helps. That's scary. <laughs> That's scary, but it does help. You're right. As I say, I met Dan last year at Feel the Force Day, and we got on so well, we have been friends ever since. And every time he's got something coming on, he's like, Mark, you interested in this? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, it works for me, works for him, and if I can promote the, the comic and the, the cause, I will. I will do what I can to help him out. Yeah, and, why not? And no reason why not. kind of fits in what, what, with what we do, because it's all about comic books and things, and mm-hmm. 
disabled charities is something I feel strongly about coming from where I come from uh, is the home of the Paralympics so uh, I grew up with uh, disabled sport on the doorstep and you know I've I've learned to um, understand the classifications and things for the Paralympics and that and it's been such an amazing ride my Paralympic journey and then to top it off when I went to the the Hamleys event uh, which we covered on on TGP Nominal and it's uh, uh, in the podosphere for you all to to hear so I think we should leave it all there and hopefully you all enjoyed this episode and we hope to get another show out before the new year Rogue One that will be the main. If only, topic. even if that's what we, t- if that's all we talk about for two hours, Rogue One, we must discuss as soon as possible. <laughs> Definitely. I'll, I'll see if we can get somebody else on the line again, and see if we can. Um, I think Chris would be good to get back on the show. I think for that one, if we could, because uh, Star Wars is his life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am looking into getting other people from the star wars community involved in the show next year and i've got fingers crossed that it's it's going to happen so um yeah we'll leave you there to enjoy the festivities and uh don't eat too much (laughs) that's not gonna happen i was about to say (laughs) you don't do that not not especially here between thanksgiving and christmas it's just diets don't even have a chance yeah I mean, even up the lead up to Christmas here, I mean, uh, you, I take it you have advent calendars over in the States. Sure. I've got one here, chocolate filled, so that's chocolate every day. Uh, strangely, well, not strangely, it's a Star Wars advent calendar. I'm <laughs> shocked to hear this. <laughs> it's got BB-8 on the front. God. <laughs> ah, the commercialization. I see people with, you know, BB-8 decorations out in front of their yard for Christmas. I'm just like, what What does BB-8 have to do with Christmas? He doesn't even have a Santa hat on. Oh, well, we've got, we've got <laughs> this absolutely fantastic dark side tinsel this year at Christmas. It's black tinsel with um, death troopers in, entwined within the tinsel. Uh-huh. It's fantastic. Um. Ah, <laughs> uh, my commercialism has no shame. <laughs> <laughs> Not to mention you can get your Wookiee Christmas stocking. But hey, as the song goes, what can you get a Wookiee for Christmas if he already owns a comb? <laughs> yeah, I just dated myself and I... If, yeah, anyway. <sighs> so, on that note... Um... <laughs> Anybody else who knows that song was probably like, oh God, he did. Yeah. <laughs> we will speak to you all again after the the holiday period and um, I really do hope you have a great time with all your friends and family and uh, we'll speak to you again real soon ho 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 Merry Christmas it's different than two I guess you could always edit that out and put the toodles in. <laughs> <laughs> well that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal be sure to visit tgpnominal.weebly.com for the show notes for this or any other episode just look for the relevant tab on the menu. Let us know what you think of the show. Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com. Because your input is our output. Or you can use the social media icons at the top of the page that include Twitter and Facebook. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes.
iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. Don't forget to rate and review us. You can find links on all our podcast pages. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event.